Welcome to episode, uh, I don't know the number again, but it's 1990 of <laughs> it's Sunglasses at Night. 1990. So I can count it out at my fingers, I won't do that, but look, 1990 time, it's exciting, it's a new decade. It sure is. Promises of hope, new possibilities, new opportunities. I guess the feeling that, you know, at the time, I felt, and I guess a lot of other people felt, that you could do anything that you wanted and you could have anything you wanted. And mm. the Australian public wanted six more weeks of Love Shack. <laughs> that's how they started the decade. I guess they had a fuck ton of jukebox money. <laughs> they certainly that's, did. They <laughs> absolutely did. Absolutely, it's, it's very good. It's, it's kicked off the 90s with a good uh, jukebox money joke. If you don't know what that means, um, it is a lyric from Love Shack. It is. Um, I assume everyone's heard it 400 times. Um, you uh, have, yeah. Yep. Suggests Adlet. that the one thing that they don't have at the Love Shack is any sort of stereo equipment. They don't. You've got to bring you got to bring your jukebox money because mm. without that you'll be you won't have anything to listen to. Standing around the Love Shack in dead silence. Yep. So you through. Yeah, yeah. So '89, we had a couple of weeks of Love Shack break into 1990. Brand new decade. People mm. went, just give me more of that. We love that sort of thing. But that, I guess, that's sort of the bleed through of the decades. I think we've talked yeah. about this, haven't we? It isn't just sort of like a. And obviously, it's not as if it just hits three one December 1989 and then everything changes. No, you know, things are quite different. And I think we <laughs> we sort of see that a lot. Um, you know, in film as well as you know music. I guess you look at sort of the tone of films, the style different types of genres, those sorts of things that were big, you know, in the 80s and then in the 90s, I think we'll sort of see a bit of a shift there. I mean, even if you look at the very end of the 80s, you know, you look at the big films there, you've got things like Batman, Major League, Look Who's Talking, compared to the 90s, it's completely different. Things like Batman Returns, Major League 2, Look Who's Talking Now, <laughs> completely different films mm. with completely different concepts. Fortunately, that stopped happening, and now all movies are super original. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> would they never pull some shit like that. Anymore. Oh, they there were a lot of remakes and sequels in the nineties, but not today, Tom. It's all original ideas. You're mm. correct. If this, if those films had come out uh, in at the end of the previous decade, then we would now be up to part twenty three of the Major League Universe. Oh, the major oh. expanding the side characters. That guy, <laughs> the voodoo guy who had hats with bats, he would have his own six separate sub sequels. They would sacrifice the chickens, yeah. Have they rebooted Major League? Will they reboot Major League, Tom? Um I'm my theory now is that every single intellectual property in the entire human world is going yep. to be rebooted at some point, so I would say that's a big thing. That's good. Not enough baseball comedies. I look forward to it with open arms. They have gone away a bit. The sports comedies used to be much more of a big thing. You know, yep. around this same time, um, what was the Madonna one? Bloody Blake, oh, yeah. Tom Hanks, Madonna. Tom, yeah, absolutely. That yeah. was a massive film. There were all yeah. those, you know, the Slapshot, all those, um, the Mighty Ducks, the Mighty all Ducks those films. films. Exactly. Yeah. People loved uh, even, you know, 
Happy Gilmore. The underdogs. Sort of, the yeah. Yeah, people enjoy the sports comedy, not so much these days. It's time that we bring it back. Eastbound and Down. That was about the closest thing I've seen oh, yeah. recently. Yeah. Well, perhaps people saw that and just went, we can't improve on this. So it's <laughs> pretty stop hard that. to improve. Pretty, <laughs> that was basically just an extremely even filthier major league, wasn't it? That's true. It was yeah. basically <laughs> just major league with a fat, mulleted guy instead. Exactly. Skinny, mulleted guy. Yep. Oh, definitely. Look, you know, so I'm not saying that they're out of sports. There's a lot of other sports have not tackled, sure. but, you know, who's... who's Competitive ice dancing. Anyone... Oh, no, they did. They did that. <laughs> they did. They the did. Will Ferrell one. <laughs> they did. Yeah. But does anyone in Hollywood have the balls to bring back the sports comedy, I think? Mm. And mm. speaking of sports, Tom, I think, um, you know, just thinking back personally of 1990, who can forget... Brendan Dorwick's bronze medal on the horizontal bars at the 1990 Commonwealth Games. Not me, certainly. I no. have it vividly in my mind. Yeah, I, I just thought I'd put in a <laughs> Commonwealth Games reference because no, I, I, okay. thought, I thought we needed something before we spoke about the music and I realised I only had like one thing about films and that was it. So I googled <laughs> that three minutes ago about that. Do you think on other podcasts, though, like the guy will say... Who can forget about Brendan Dorwick's bronze medal at the horizontal bars? And then you'll go, oh. and then I'll, then they'll pause it, and then I'll do another one and go, who can forget <laughs> Ron Laycock's bronze medal in the weightlifting middleweight snatch at the 1990 Commonwealth Games? Oh, I mean, and then you get your reaction, shit, and then they? and then they sort of do five, and then they choose the best one. <laughs> Do you think other other podcasts would do that? We don't do that sort of stuff. Tom. No, we're too authentic. Exactly. By authentic, I mean I get my facts wrong constantly. Yeah, get the facts wrong, and that's we don't we don't do any editing because I'm that's, assuming that was all gospel, though. All those common. That that's made. those are real. Yeah, I may have pronounced the names wrong. Otherwise, but yeah. we'll have the com heads coming after us. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> we will. Those guys on Wikipedia editing all the Commonwealth Games stuff will be right at me. But um, yeah, editing podcasters for pussies have always said that let's go all the way through and if you make a mistake you learn to live with it later on so um look should we move on tom is that should we keep on going cool so that was so love shack um got people going from the start of the year through to that's a pretty good thing eight weeks weeks. yeah eight weeks all up two last year six this year up to eight so it wasn't until 17th of february 1990 we got our first new song of the decade um, that one, Tom, is Aerosmith, Janie's Got a Gun. <laughs> wow. It's a song that really tells a story. It does tell a story. Um, look, personally, just before we get started on the story that it tells, you got to hand it to Aerosmith, don't you? Like, these guys look like they should have died about 55 times. Yeah, truly. I think sometimes they're kind of surprised they didn't die. Absolutely. The... They've sold 150 million albums worldwide. Um, Steve Tyler looks pretty good. He looks okay. He's still looking alive and fine for someone that's 70 and taken, mm. you know, significant amounts of drugs. I, I think can only they imagine. supposedly got clean in the sort of mid-80s, which okay. may have saved, um, but that still gave them a good decade or so of run-up. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I, no, I take your point. He's aged about as well as Mick Jagger has. That's saying something. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Some may say better, but you know, some may say worse. <laughs> Who knows? So Janie's got a gun. Um, the music video for this was directed by David Fincher, who we all know went on to Aliens Three. Yes, amongst yeah. some other and things, and including another video on this list. In fact, yeah, he must yep. have been. This must have been the heyday of his pre-cinema career. Yeah, because Alien Three was coming up. Fairly soon, I think that yep. was early nineties. Absolutely right. So, yeah, absolutely. So look, um, this is uh, this song is off. Uh, it's the second single 
from the Aerosmith album titled Pump, which I think is a sick name for an album. <laughs> What's the album called? Pump. Yeah, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, I'm onto that. The first single was Love in an Elevator, which I think is significantly better than this song, but only made it to number 33 in Australia. It's certainly more fun. Oh, it's a lot more fun. Um, it's I mean, much more typical of their normal Well, stuff, that made it to certainly. 33. This made it to number one, so I think that shows the Australian public don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, <laughs> Love in an Elevator, metaphor alert. Is that a metaphor, or is that just... <laughs> is it literally... Is it just about banging someone in an elevator? Um... The music video gives us some tips, I think, Tom, mm, because how, straight. Well, you, you, the how video, does it open? The video, st- <laughs> the video opens up. Um, there's a lift operator, operator with massive cans um, in the mm. elevator, who just says, "Mr. Tyler, going down." <laughs> before the song's even started. Uh, before the song even starts. That is actually Playboy model Brandy Brandt, Ooh. who was married to Nikki Six at the time, <laughs> okay. because of course she was. <laughs> Bizarrely, she went on to go to jail for being involved in a US-Australia cocaine importation syndicate that hid packages of the drugs in toilets on passenger planes bound for Sydney in 2007. They extradited her to Sydney in 2013 and she went to jail in New South Wales. So, you know... That's a great coda to that Love in an Elevator video, video clip. Though. kept that job working in that elevator. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Tyler sure. going down. It's also so. worth just... <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things in that video. The outfit that he's wearing when she says that to him, he's wearing like a kind of, a sort of giant, um, it looks like the kind of hat Jessica Fletcher would be gardening in at the start of Murder, <laughs> She Wrote when she got news about another grizzly stabbing in the tiny it's, town that it's she It's a lived floppy in. hat for and sure. It's he's got a kind of puffed neck ruff yep. thing that, yeah, it's, I mean, the, what, what rock stars used to be able to get away with, you know, I don't think anyone these days in rock could get away with the sheer quantity of scarves oh, that used no. to get worn by rockers, you know. It was like their clothes were just made of scarves. Absolutely right, for know? sure. I think the American rock industry kept that scarf <laughs> industry afloat for, you know. But from what, yeah, Guns N' Roses, I think, at one point were responsible for 27% of all scarves <laughs> sold in the United States. I'm not sure of that well, fact, but yeah, I think it's back, around that percentage. Back in his drug days, supposedly he would, you know, well, you've seen his videos, Stephen Tyler always has scarves tied around the microphone. Yep. He used to have pockets sewn into his scarves so he could just keep drugs in the scarves <laughs> on stage so he didn't have to do the tedious business of walking... 10 metres side stage to get fucked up in the middle of a song. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, this video yep. uh, does look very cinematic and expensive, as you say. Yo, like, yeah. I just wanted to point that out because I was saying about it last week, but um, this is sort of very blue-tinted James Cameron looking, which makes the creepily realistic elements even creepier. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, like, so we've just gone straight from the shiny 90s preview action of Love Shack, where everything's bright and lit and fun and wacky and not realistic, straight back into the blue-lit sort of wannabe cinema trailer look of the 80s. But, yeah. Was the 90s darker in the music video world, Tom, than the 80s? No, let's, I think it was brighter. Brighter. Except for... This song. Except for <laughs> grunge. Oh, except yeah, yeah. for the grunge thing. What I'm saying is this... That's true. In the grand tradition of Aerosmith, this is looking back about 15 years into the past, uh, with the style of the video <laughs> clip. Whereas, yeah, as you will see later on in this countdown, there are other people that are de- boldly paving the way into the wacky-ass, accidentally Kelly Street style of the future. <laughs> but, yeah. Absolutely. So, look, um, apparently with Love as an Elevator, um, Stephen Tyler tells it that um, <laughs> one day he was in his hotel. He was in a hot tub with a lot of ladies. As you are. Um they moved the party to his room. They piled into a hotel elevator, 
wearing nothing but towels. One of the ladies decided to have some fun, push all the buttons on the elevator. A bit of a laugh. Stops at all the floors. <laughs> brought it down to the lobby. When one of the girls opened her robe to show Tyler her goods, the elevator doors opened and everyone in the lobby <laughs> saw some tits, I think. Sure. And some, some vagina, quite possibly. And that was the inspiration mm. for Love uh, in an Elevator. Sure. So this song, um, bit of a bit of a sort of a bit, little bit different to that. Um, this is probably the darkest and most depressing number one song. <laughs> I'm going to say yeah. in the history of all the number one songs. So Certainly from a sort of party <laughs> glam rock party. You got love band. in an elevator. It's about banging someone in an elevator. Someone that's married to Nikki mm-hmm. Six. And um, what's this verse, song about? Well, this song is about a girl um, who shoots her father because he's sexually abusing her. So, not mm. not really that slight that tonal shift. Yeah, yeah, uh, and to sort of quote um, the band themselves, the song is about a girl getting raped and pillaged by her father. It's about incest, something that happens to a lot of kids who don't even find out about it until they find themselves trying to work through some major fucking neuroses. So, it's look, it's I mean they're dealing with a lot of different subject matter. Yeah, they are. They are absolutely. Um, but. You know, Stephen Tyler, you got to hand it to him. So he's tackled a lot of different... He he has, he has. And that's what I like about an Aerosmith album. You put it on, you're going, oh, it's about... You know, this song's called Pump. It's about pumping up a tyre on a bike, probably. I don't know, something (laughs) like that. What's the next song about? Oh, you know, banging someone in the elevator. Okay, that's great. What's the next song about? A, a, someone that shoots a dad because they were getting molested mm-hmm. oh it's a bit of a, a downer but then the next one's probably about you know doing coke you know off a toilet seat or <laughs> you know riding you know pumping up some other thing I don't know there's probably a lot of pump based songs on the album so you don't know what you're going to get that's what I quite like about it. and they keep you guessing um, you know banging in an elevator um, all those sorts of things so um, this interview that Stephen Tyler gave to Rolling Stone is perhaps one of the weirdest ones I've ever read in my life. That's the same interview, is it? Same interview. Um, He goes on to say, Stephen Tyler says this to Rolling Stone, how can a father not be attracted to his daughter, especially when she's a cross between the girl he married and himself? All a man has to do is be totally honest with himself, and he can see it. However, the real man knows that's just a place to never go. Instead, he celebrates it by telling his daughter how beautiful she is and what a precious child of God she is. There's ways to love without making love to it. I wrote Janie's Got a Gun about fathers that don't know the difference. Uh, is that father of the year material, Tom? Uh, wow. Yeah. And it doesn't help either that like two Aerosmith videos later on feature Liv Tyler being ogled by the camera. Playing yeah. a hot... I mean, surely there was another hot 18-year-old he could have borrowed in Hollywood to feature in his own videos, but... I mean, on the other hand, he never became president, so I guess that's something. But yeah. no, exactly. and similarly, they actually kind of pussy out in this video as well. I mean, there's some pretty dark, well-directed stuff from the future director of Seven, featuring the mum in particular, sort of subtly horrified realization of what her husband's actually like. Yeah. But it was still 1990, so they couldn't resist having the titular Janie be a smoking hot twenty-year-old in a bikini. Mm. Like if she looked like Punky Brewster or something, then you would have had some real horror going on. <laughs> That's yeah. true. So really, it just looks like you know the dad's boning the babysitter, really. But you know, 
the subject matter is undeniably awful, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it just sort of it does seem somewhat weird to me that Stephen Tyler has had to point out <sighs> in a song saying, "Yeah, you know what, my daughter, she's pretty hot, but I know not to go there, bro." <laughs> So yeah, I mean, seems... you think you could have at least left that for the next interview where you weren't talking about the subject of incest. True. <laughs> so, do one song about Janie's Got a Gun, then in the next song you do the Donald Trump-style interview where you say, hey, wouldn't we all like to bone my sister, you know, my daughter? <laughs> very true, very, very true. Look, if... Um, Put I don't... six months between it, that's oh, all I'm I saying. So, yeah. Look, I don't know whether he got Father of Year Award for... <laughs> Um, not banging his own daughter, but he should have. I think that lyrically, this song, um, you've probably got some lyrical highlights, Tom. I don't know whether you do, oh, but um, yeah. one, of them, one of them, one of them, well, I'll let you go. I, I don't want to, no, no, I don't no, want to no. on your, on your you turf. But I was just going to say that, um, lyrically, um, where he points out in the chorus, um, Janie put a bullet in his brain and he's never going to be the same. That's true because he's fucking <laughs> dead now. So yeah, yeah it's unlikely true. that he's going to be the same now. Um, I, I like the uh, she killed him. NCIS aspect of that. I'm imagining <laughs> David Caruso looking at the bullet wound in the front of the dude's head, saying, "Maybe this guy should have realised that pedophilia causes puts on his sunglasses <laughs> a whole lot of trouble." <laughs> and it also wow. says on top of that, it says when Janie was arrested, they found him underneath a train. So she shot him in the head and pushed him under a train. I yep. mean, that's some fucking Steven Seagal shit. It absolutely is. I'm assuming is. he also had two broken femurs and fell down a lift shaft at some point <laughs> as well. Look, it does really raise some questions as to the cause of death. Perhaps um, he died, he got hit by the train and then Janie running to his <laughs> assistance, you know, the gun dropped, fell out of her pocket and then he was shot. So I don't know. Hopefully she didn't go to prison though. I, don't, we, I mean, there's not a, I don't know whether on a subsequent... Aerosmith album there's a follow up to Janie's Got a Gun where they talk about what she's up to now um, mm. hopefully because you know I'd hate to think that she was I mean she's not real but I'd hate to think that <laughs> Janie she's a fictional character I'd hate to think that she was incarcerated for this which is really just sort of you know a self defence yeah. type action so yeah I mean well admittedly though as you put it you know he is never going to be the same now no since he got shot through the head and now run he's got by that train he's got the bullet in his brain he's been run over by a train He's never going to be the same, so yeah. Um, <laughs> he does suggest that she run away, run away from the pain, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe he was also <laughs> suggesting that she cross the border, cross the border into Canada, yeah, 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 something like that. <laughs> it's true, she should have, yeah, I mean that's... Go to it's... Mexico, go to Mexico, yeah, 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 I don't know. <laughs> it's very simple to run away from the pain, I, I would suggest. Um, don't really know whether, yeah. I mean, I have to admit, for... credit to them, like... In so, I think that song, in some ways, I think maybe the reason that people did like it more than Love in an Elevator is because, unlike almost every other song they wrote, it's not about getting blown by groupies or doing coke in the That's 80s. True. Yeah. Like, and the fact that it, <laughs> for a song about pedophilia, it rocks out way more than it should. It's way funkier. He does this rad kind of, they're really good at intros. Like, he does these rad little voice bits over the yeah. bass line at the start. And it really, it kind of, it starts out slow. It's almost, you could say, a power ballad. Oh, it is a power ballad, kind of yeah. rocks out at the end. But because it's actually got a kind of serious element to it, I think in some ways it's kind of, it has a kind of depth to it that a lot of it, like Love in an Elevator, you know, doesn't really, it just sounds like something you would bust out in a car while you were banging around. Absolutely right, and I completely agreed. Um, look, for me though, uh, if I had to listen to a song off this album in my own time, <laughs> I'd probably go Love in an Elevator. Sure, I mean, yeah. Especially, you know, just the video clip, I guess, probably, you know. Yeah. 
and I've heard this 58,000 times as well. <laughs> that probably tells me. I think it's on exactly. Colts Radio right now. Exactly. Um, so just one week for that. The Australian public went, we like mm. it, but we don't like it that much. So, which is, I think that's probably fair enough. That's probably yeah. what you would suggest. One week's about long enough for us. We like about a song pedophilia. about sexual abuse, but we don't like it that much. So yeah. moving on. So next one um, for eight weeks. Fucking hell. Ooh, oh, sorry. Boy. I should skip back real quick. 15.9 oh, yeah. mil on the Spotify. For Aerosmith, yeah, that's a lot expected. They've been around forever, got a lot of songs. People probably just crank that Armageddon theme song out <laughs> every day. You know, I do. And 63 cents um, on Discogs for a copy of this. Um, going cheap, that's the cheapest one. Hmm. So yeah, up next um, for eight weeks. It's a long time. Shinoda O'Connor, nothing compares the number two and then the letter U. Nothing compares to you. Does that title give us a clue as to who might have perhaps originally penned this song then. it does yeah <laughs> Prince ah uh, yes if it's got the number 2 in it and the letter U for <laughs> the word U then you know Prince is behind this he's a, he's a hit machine um, 100% he's written a lot of hits this is one of them he, you know this was a number 1 across the board um, across all the countries but Sinead O'Connor personally definitely falls into the one hit wonder territory Tom well, she definitely only had one huge hit, but she has been around, she's still going, like, she has 10 albums, she's still kicking around, and she has that knack for getting into the limelight. Yep. You know, for instance, uh, in 2014, she told a radio station that she went to Prince's house after this song was a hit, she'd never met him before, and um, he invited her over, and he told her not to swear so much, so she told him to fuck off, mm. and they got violent with each other, and she had to, she said they traded blows... And she had to escape at 5am from Paisley Park. Then in other interviews, she said that Prince was a sweet guy and the story was exaggerated by the press. So the obvious takeaway is that it was exaggerated by her to make yep. an interview more interesting one time. And then she felt vaguely bad about it later. But we'd been, nonetheless, wouldn't you pay money to see Sinead O'Connor in a fully clothed, stacked heeled Prince have a fist fight? Absolutely. You know, I think if um, Prince was still oh, if Prince was still alive today, I think that that would be the next thing that any boxing federation or um, any of these mixed martial arts things that people are into these days, um, they would they would pay good money. <laughs> they would have it in their interest to see a Sinead O'Connor Prince battle. But R.I.P. Prince. Um, mm. Perhaps mm. we can get a hologram of Prince to fight Sinead O'Connor. I'm not quite sure how that would work, <laughs> but I would look forward to watching that as well. Um, yeah, look, you're right. One hit, but a big hit. Good honour. Um, look, I, I, I think I should point out that... Look, she was an IRA supporter. Is that bad? <laughs> is that okay? Is that is that fine? Well, this is what I'm talking about with her. It's is that like, for it's controversy? Like, it's like the that... Prince story. Like, if Prince actually took a swing at her, that's terrible. Yep. You know, but if it was some exaggerated scuffle that she's made up to get on the radio, you know, like... Saying at one point in Ireland and the UK, saying is you're an IRA supporter is about like mm. saying you're in ISIS. Yeah, you absolutely. know, it's the most controversial thing you could say and the most likely to get people to talk about you on the radio. So, you know, who knows? Did she have an AK 47 under the bed and go out shooting British soldiers? Probably oh, not. Oh, she, she might, she might have though, <laughs> I don't really know. But yeah, so look, that's obviously controversial. Um, She's also changed her name and she converted to Islam in October 2018. So she's actually uh, changed her name. Um, she changed her name several times. Yeah, she has. Yeah, she changed her name to um, Magda David, saying in an interview that she wished to be free of the patriarchal slave names. Um, 
And then she also changed her name to, sorry, Shuhada Shadak, which I think is who she goes On by. converting to Islam. <laughs> when she converted to Islam, yeah, exactly. So she's had a few name changes. Um, and yeah, look, I guess converting to Islam, she's gone from being an Irish terrorist to an Islamic terrorist. So she's moving with the times, Tom. <laughs> Is that fair enough? That's yeah, a fair enough I, I'm sure she's probably in ISIS by now. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and look, I mean, we all know that the IRA were, were a better terrorist organisation, I think, than ISIS, yeah, weren't they, the, in terms the, of... the gentleman bombers. They were, they were, painful. for sure. But you've got to stay relevant. You know, the IRA, they don't do a lot these days, so if you want to be a terrorist, then you've got to sort of jump <laughs> ship, I guess, and, and Sinead O'Connor's done that. Um, so, yeah, look... Do you think that they would use any Shinoda O'Connor song? You know, because ISIS, <laughs> as a, a terror organization, they have a lot of great videos. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could recruit people to ISIS using a Shinoda O'Connor video? Do you think, would nothing compared to your music video get <sighs> people to ISIS? I suppose it depends if they have a theme for uh, women who look a tiny bit like Moby. True, yeah, that's true. It depends true. on your individual preferences. Absolutely. You know? I mean, can't argue with the song, though. Yeah. If they're into, you know, mid-period Prince, you know, absolute kick-ass love songs, they might they might go for it. Yeah. Um, is Sinead O'Connor a troublemaker? Oh, 100%. Um, it's a quote from her in NME 1991. She said, I don't do anything in order to cause trouble. It just so happens that what I do naturally causes trouble. I'm proud to be a troublemaker. Yeah. Which captures that sort of infuriating choleric personality that you really you sometimes bump into, where part of the person is genuinely confused as to why people keep flipping out when they do stuff that they don't see the problem of. Mm. Yet they also totally get off on people flipping out when they do stuff, especially when it flips out the kind of people who secretly get off on being flipped out, like Irish Catholics, for instance. <laughs> What I'm saying is that she's a lot like Bart Simpson. She is. She was ahead of her time in that respect. She was, she was. The, you know, people sort of, when Bart Simpson said, Cowbunga, dude, um, uh, I think he might have a hit song coming up in the near yes. future. Um, <laughs> Sinead O'Connor predated that by mm. sort of, she basically said, Cowbunga, dude, to the Catholic Church um, by ripping up a, a photo of um, <laughs> the Pope, I think, live on stage. That's true. And Madonna gave her a hard time about that. Um, you know you fucked up when the person who wrote that women who are the victims of domestic violence are actually really into it um, give you a hard time about offending morals, Tom. Yeah, Madonna, if you think we've forgotten about you dancing in front of a field of burning crosses outside the church with sexy black Jesus in it, you're yep. very much mistaken. Yeah, it does she's seem... Just, she's just clearly pissed off that someone else is getting into the Someone spotlight. else has got a song, yeah, that's it's a hit. I'm surprised does... she didn't go after Sher when she saw her on that boat and then try and get her ass on top of a bloody aircraft carrier or something. Oh, absolutely. I think Madonna, um, you know, ha attacking someone for offending morals is um, the bizarrest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, obviously, the sex book wasn't out yet, but it was coming out. But she had released <laughs> She's that. She's working on it in she'd the background. Yeah, she'd certainly burnt some crosses and used a lot of, um, you know, Ku Klux Klan imagery in her video clips. So, I don't know. What can I say? Um, I really do like this. I have to admit. Yeah. Do you like this one? Yeah, look, I think... Um, it's not a... It's not a Metal it's, song. It's, it's not, not a, a. It's not. It's it's not a club banger, Tom. But um, it's definitely one of the, the better songs um, in this 
oh, oh, I don't want to say there's a lot of great songs coming up to them, no, no I, I do like this one because I remember at the time um, I was a very young child but I remember watching this on Rage and it was very distinct it was very different to what was on. Yeah. I remember sort of being captivated, even though totally. it doesn't have. A, I don't even. I don't even know if it has any drums in it. Does it? I think it's just sort of like a. Maybe it does sort of very. Yeah, it's very slow, very but it's sort simple. of. It's it's a sparse sort of arrangement. It's yeah, all it's, it's about good. her voice. Yep. No, yeah, no, she does have a very good voice, and um, no, I do, I do like this one. Um, yeah, I think yourself. There's a slight oddness to it mm. all that makes it stand out even more. Like, it's a. At its core, it's a pretty straightforward breakup song, really. Like, yeah. the whole thing isn't a title. But the fact that it's written by a black American man and performed by a white Irish woman gives it this slight strangeness that makes it memorable. Yep. And, like, lyrically, for instance. And because it's such a vocal performance, you get every little intonation of her accent in the words. Like, she says, like, compare compares with a slight, like, shh sound in her mm. voice like it gives it this kind of slight alienness and likewise the video is just a tight close up of her face which is very pretty but because she's sort of bald yeah. and because it's such a tight close up of her face that's all there is in the video it becomes slightly confronting like it's kind of like and, and, and also again similarly her attitude with the delivery of the song seems kind of a bit more raw and accusatory than the lyrics really seem to deserve. The lyrics are all just, oh, it sucks that you that you left me, you know, yeah. that, that we broke up. But she seems quite she brings this kind of anger, slight edge to it that makes it kind of it yeah, it just gives the whole thing this it makes it stand out above something like Celine Dion, you know, or, oh, or yeah. Whitney's torch songs who were kicking around at this point, like, you know. Absolutely yeah. right. No, I completely agreed. Um have you heard the original Prince version. No, no, I haven't. Is it any good? It's it's quite different. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it's a very different. I think it was. Um, does it have shredding in it? It, oh, it certainly does. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's it's. I think Prince recorded a demo like back in the eighties or recorded it um, with before the new power generation. I think when he was working with the time. Oh, ah, yeah, Morris so, Day and the time. Yeah. So I think it was around that sort of era. But yeah, it's. Um, so yeah, definitely different to this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're both, I think that's the thing. Sinead O'Connor put, Prince wrote the song, she put her own spin on yeah. it, which is really, really good. I think that it's good that it did end up in her hands because I think if it ended up in, say, I don't know, what, who we're we talking about just before Aerosmith, they probably would have changed it to nothing compares <laughs> to boobs or something like that, yeah. which might not Almost have certainly. might not have had the same sort of impact. So, I mean, you know, it's they're not wrong, but well, I can't really say that... Nothing yeah. compares to two boobs. Nothing perhaps. compares to two <laughs> boobs. Yeah, that's true. So they would have... I mean, they. I don't know whether lyrically they would have really handled it with as no. much respect as, as Sinead did. Doubtful, I think, so, yeah. doubtful. Absolutely. So um, she's got... Uh, well... 2.6 mil on Spotify, um, yeah, fair enough, and 15 cents on the Discogs. That's wow. cheap as all fuck. And there's over a thousand for sale, so um, yeah, get in now because <laughs> they won't last after this podcast. Got any lyrical highlights for me, Tom? Or uh, just a slight small one. She says, I went to the doctor and guess what he told me? Guess what he told me? He said, girl, you better ha try to have fun no matter what you do, but he's a fool. 
uh, fuck whether he's a fool or not. That's my kind of doctor. Yeah. Does he have a prescription pad that I can borrow? And <laughs> <laughs> go to the doctor and go, my wrist's a bit sore. You go, fuck that. Get out there and fucking party out. You know, is this a medical doctor? Take or six <laughs> of these and go and have fun. Like sick. Absolutely, for sure. Look, I think I've uh, I've cut my arm off <laughs> at the shoulder. I'm going to need some sort of assistance, girl. You better go out and have fun, no matter what That's you do. That's kind of what I mean, though. Like, if you imagine Prince singing that lyric, it totally makes sense. It sounds like a Prince thing, but yep. if you hear a sort of, uh, you know, a, an Irish lady who seems to be fairly pissed off at you singing at it, then it sounds like that she suspects you might know a doctor and that, you know... Absolutely. You two might be conspiring with him behind her back or something like that. But for yeah. sure, for sure. But no, it's... Um, I completely agree, Tom. It's, it's a good one. Um, yeah, look... I don't. Th- we're not going to hear any more of Sinead, I don't think, for the rest of this, unfortunately. Yeah, as you say, that was that was the last of her big hits. But yeah, yeah. she kept doing music. I think that she was just uh, yeah, just a little bit more out of the out of the spotlight a little bit. So cool. All right. Um, moving on. Next, that was uh, eight weeks, two full months of that, and then after, I think the heaviness of that, people just wanted something lighter, didn't they? And they <laughs> certainly chose that with Paula Abdul. Uh, opposites attract. <laughs> now, it ain't fiction, man. It's a natural fact. Now, look, Tom. Um, this is credited to Paula Abdul, but we shouldn't forget that it is actually Paula Abdul featuring MC Scat Cat. It is a duet. Hmm. Um, What's M- the MC Scat Cat story? Oh, man? look, MC Scat Cat. Look, I'm going to call it now. It's it's probably peak 90s and we're only four months into the decade. This is about as 90s as it gets. Um, MC Scat Cat, Tom is an animated cat. Um, mm. Paula Rabbit was but doing he's, cool. Rap- he worry, cool. he's, he's cool. He's cool. He's not your dad's animated cat. Yeah, okay? exactly. This is a cat who gets busy. Okay? Exactly. So Consistently look, and thoroughly. <laughs> so this is his first venture as an artist um, recording with Paula Abdul um, on this Opposites Attract song. He did later get his posse together, um, <laughs> MC Scat Cat and The Stray Mob, and they went on to, to record a full album. Um, you know, like, I guess sort of like, you know, Eminem with D12 or whatever it yep. is and Nelly and uh, I don't even know the posse. Marky is a Mark, bit like, the Funky the Bunch, funky bunch. Yep. Exactly right, exactly right. But um, So this is MC Scat Cat um, with The Stray Mob. They did release... Uh, a press release did come out um, and this is one of the fucking stupidest things I've ever read in my life um, I don't know how much cocaine went into writing this um, or what quantity of drugs Paula Abdul had consumed to agree to do a duet with an animated um, anthropomorphic rapping cat but nevertheless um, this is completely insane so the adventures of MC Scat Cat and the Stray Mob press release reads Tom MC Scat Cat is one bugging kitty. Ask him where he's from and he'll, you'll never get the same answer twice. Ask him where he's been and he'll go off. He'll tell you how he's helped out a certain Paula Abdul by co-starring in her Opposites of Track video. He'll let you know all about the new album and Scat Strut video featuring, in addition to himself, Kathleen, Fats, Silk, Taboo, Leo and Maestro. Jesus. A bunch of, um, you know... Throughout the hood as the stray mob. Oh, and just to prove what a sorry, perfectly nice guy is and perfectly oh, spelt P U R. He'll tell you um, about how this time he let Paula be in his video. Scat Cat's a street philosopher with an alley cat point of view. 
He's a rapper dropping crazy science and a dancer whose moves set the pace all over the place. He's got an eye for the ladies, definitely the cat Mac, but he never gets played or pinned down. Scat Cat remains on the smooth tip with an old school rap influence which adds the streets to his new school hip hop. He's living all nine lives at once. Let the party begin. Fucking hell. So we only have to kill him one time. That's good. Exactly. convenient. And then they tell you all about the stray mob, Tom. So they're out at the like alleys. They're basically trying to start the gorillas like ten years early. Well, um, except with cats. I think I think that's the problem, Tom. I think MC Scat Cat. If you like the gorillas, you're effectively an MC Scat Cat <laughs> fan and a stray mob. That's that's the sort of music you like. If you say, "Oh, I love the gorillas. I love that." It's got the guy in blur in it. It's like, nah, mate. You just you're just listening to a band that's a rip off of the stray mob, um, including Fats um, is Scat Cat's right hand feline, um, according to this press release. Just in case you've never seen Cat this Lean. video, uh, may I just say that Scat Cat MC Scat Cat looks exactly like Poochie from The Simpsons, except he's a cat, not yeah. a dog. That's if you just change the, change it to a cat, that's you've got it. Oh, absolutely. I should point out that Maestro's a mouse. So he's oh, okay. he's one he's one of their friends. Um, he's the mouse. Seems like the natural friend of the cat, sure. Um, yeah. So look, I won't read out the whole press release because it's completely <laughs> fucking insane. But um, I think you get a flavour. Oh, they, go through, they go through. They go. They go. How she met MC Scat. Yep. What the fuck? Absolutely. I should point out that Taboo is a MacGyver reject. Um, <laughs> what the fuck are they talking about? I'm, I can only assume that at least one of them has rollerblades on at any given time. <laughs> I think so. Surely. Absolutely, um, but look, it's easy to shit on MC Scat Cat Tom. But it is. Um, it's look, very, but very look, easy. Here's the thing: I reached into my own record collection to have a look at the seven inch, and yes, I do own it. Um, and I noticed that the sleeve it mentions it says Paula Abdul, opposites attract, but there's no mention of MC Scat Cat at huh. the time. Even on even on the, on the there's there's record. a there's a picture of a cartoon cat on there. Yeah, a, a cartoon cat. Is featured on there, but his name his name's not there. And I think what we sort of forget is Tom that you know he's not referenced on the recording at the time. People aren't talking about him a lot these days. <laughs> and you know, I think it, it's sad, but the reason for that is obvious. Um, he's a black cat, Tom, and I think that music history, mm. largely written by white men. Um, has led to the effacement of MC Scat Cat from the retelling of early animated cat rapper history. That is a tragic. And tragedy. I think that that's, you know, that's, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's not really a laughing matter. I think that sort of throughout history, we do look at, you know, people that are involved in early rock and roll, you know, African Americans, and we sort of forget about them. We focus more on the sort of the Elvis Presley. We, we sort of do the same thing, even, you know, often with jazz, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we, focus on the wrong people and that's because of who's writing history and I think that MC Scat Cat is effectively being written out of history and as you said Tom he was the original gorillas so <laughs> he invented this that's and true. and there's been a long history of great great animated musicians um, Crazy Frog true. Um, that turtle that we talked about the other that's week whose name I've forgotten <laughs> um, a lot of them Michael the Turtle. <laughs> Michael the Turtle. That's right. That's yeah, right. So I mean, MC Scat Cat. Um, look, if you don't know this song, check it out because I think um, a woman, you know, doing a duet with a cartoon cat, it's pretty good. And look, it's about their relationship. They're opposites, aren't they, Tom? They're completely different. Mm. It must be really hard being in a relationship with an animated cat. 
to begin with. And that's going to only going to be exacerbated by the fact that they do appear to be opposites. I mean, one likes movies, one likes TV, one's serious, the other's light, one goes to bed early, the other parties all night. You know, um, one moves slowly, one's fast, one's quiet, one likes to shout, one makes the bed, the other steals the covers, one likes it neat, one makes a mess, one takes it easy, one gets obsessed, one has the money, one's always broke, one doesn't like cigarettes, and one likes to smoke. Hmm. So it begs the question, why are they together? Do they have anything in common? Well, I I don't think. Not one. they're opposites. It is, it is. But when they get together, Tom, I do believe that they have nothing but fun. So that's pretty good. Well, uh, they're probably only together for about 30 minutes a day, so that's you know, true. it's not really one of you. Yeah, they are completely It's not opposites. a long-term relationship, Yeah, putting I mean, aside the animated, not animated aspect of it. Yeah, well, that's the thing that, that always I'm quite interested in. I mean, assuming that they are in a relationship, how, what, I mean, how does that work if they do want to get intimate, if Paula Abdul wants to, you know, to want for a better term, wants to fuck MC Scat Cat... Is there a dude in the room animating in real time? That because mm, mm. you know that has to happen, or is there some sort of like real weird flip book where Paula has to like flip the pages <laughs> really quickly to get banged by you know to sort of book. reanimate a boning scat cat? Talk but... about your sex book. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> boing. <laughs> Um, just, just in case you think we're being unnecessarily crude here, by the way, some of the lyrics are, who'd have thought we could be lovers, she makes the bed and he steals the covers. Yeah. So she totally fucked that cat. Absolutely. And she got off lightly if he stole the covers, frankly. She's lucky he didn't piss all over the bed. Oh, and, for sure. You know. I mean, most cats are just awful. So, you know, he's obviously... He's a nice cat. I mean, he's in the stray mob. They don't, you know, not they don't just let anyone join the stray mob. I think so, for <laughs> sure. Strays, obviously. Yeah, exactly. So strays who wear adult clothes and sunglasses. Yeah, relaunching a one-hit wonder is tough. I think you know, like <laughs> you know, when you think about it, someone that you know, if I said to you, Tom, let's approach Tiffany or um, Samantha Fox, mm. Fergal Shackley, any of these guys, and said, hey. We want you to re-record a new song 30 years after the fact. I mean, you're it's older now. Ask, you're different. It? Yeah. It's, it's tough. You're not going to have the same voice. You're going to look the same. But the brilliance of, of MC Scat Cat is that he's exactly the same <laughs> because he's animated. We can draw him to be whatever we want him it's to true. be. Um, and look, as we know, you know, the gorillas are huge now. We should, we could roll off the back of that MC Scat Cats, the original gorillas. 90s nostalgia bizarrely uh, is back. Exactly. I don't see why fans of that band shouldn't like this. Um, what do you think the value that Virgin Records have attributed to MC Scat Cat on the balance sheet? Um, do you think that we could acquire, could we get a Kickstarter happening to approach them and say, we want to get that, mm. we want to acquire that record deal? And we want to go to the people that created MC Scat Cat and say, sign the rights over to us. We want to relaunch this guy. We think there's big things in the future for MC Scat Cat. Uh, look, it's a great idea. It's yep. a great idea, Ben. I think in the manner of uh, all the late 80s, early 90s uh, supergroup comeback things, I would like to see MC Scat Cat uh, start a tour a band with the saxophone playing duck from the Get Out of My Dreams in My <laughs> Car true. video, plus the four half-naked duck dancers from the Robert Palmer Change His Ways video. Yep. The first album would be called The Cat in the Hat and Some Ducks You Can Fuck. And uh, I look forward to see them touring <laughs> as a kind of package deal, you know. They can do one, they're, they're one hit each, 
uh, and then they can all play the 2007 remix of all their songs that I assume came out at some point. No DJ doubt. Sammy on the deck, such <laughs> <Yeah>. back. <laughs> DJ Sammy on the um, decks would be fantastic. I think that that works for me, Tom, because that saxophone playing duck and that get out of my dreams, get in my car. That guy was going skills. places. He's yeah. got a lot of skills. Him, I think he was also operating a cell phone at some point too. So he clearly knows. Uh, oh, he knows what's up. He knows yeah. what's going on in the industry. I think. Absolutely, get him involved into the stray mob. Um, I assume one of the stray mobs probably dead by now. So you can probably you know get the duck in as one of the guys because you know whenever these bands reform, it's never the original five. There's always one guy that couldn't make it, whatever, and dead or whatever <laughs> drugs. So, so get that saxophone playing duck in there. That sounds pretty good to me. Now. The dude that directed um, Aha Take On Me video, um, as we know, um, with the rotoscoping, um, the the combination of animation and real life, that dude created MC Scat Cat. Okay. That's that's quite the fucking resume. That is not bad. Someone Mm. said, what have you done in your life? He said, well, I directed Aha Take On Me and I created MC Scat Cat. Mm. You'd be like, well, Two number one hits too. Absolutely right. I mean, that's, you can retire off that. Well, you probably can't (laughs) because I don't really know how much money the Scat Cat brought in. But, um. Well, speaking of not retiring, what did happen to MC Scat Cat? Is he still kicking it? Aged exactly the same? Well, yeah, he... Um, as did a, he have as, a follow-up song? As I mentioned, Tom, yeah, he, he did... Uh, him and the Stray Mob released a full album, um, <laughs> if you can believe that. Of course they did. Um, which is uh, MC Scat Cat and the Stray Mob's first single was called Scat Strut. Um, it's <laughs> fucking awful, as you can imagine. Um, and then after that, I think that was the end for him musically. Well, I suppose it was good that at least they were around before Urban Dictionary existed. Yeah, exactly. Scat Strut is a weird MC Scat Cat. Pretty weird as well. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know what was going on with that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's all good. Um, anything else to say about this one? No, no. I think, I think we've covered the Scat the Scat. The scat I can't cat. say scat anymore. It's starting to sound really weird. Yeah, and it's spelt wrong too. So looking at it, it makes it seem weird as well. Yeah, so, yeah. That's enough about scat. Absolutely. Um, Paula Abdul has one point three million oh, yeah. monthly listeners on Spotify. MC Scat Cat and the Stray Mob have <laughs> four hundred and fifty monthly <laughs> listeners. So fuck knows who those people are. Um, that's four hundred and fifty. That's yeah. I guess that's just. People accidentally listen to it or something <laughs> on a playlist. Um, you can pick up a copy of Opposites Attract for 21 cents oh, okay. um, on the Discogs. The Scat Strut will cost you 38 cents though. So, mm. so for those MC Scat Cat <laughs> completists out there, it, you know you will need a full dollar to acquire both both, both of the works. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah, two weeks for that. Good times. Moving on to May, Madonna, Ooh. Vogue, five weeks. Vogue, wow, yes, this was a big one too. This was her, this was her apex, surely, or not? Maybe not her apex, but a, definitely an apex period of hers. This is huge. Yeah, I was going to dig into the more sex quotes, Tom, oh, but I feel on. like I'm not going to. I don't know. Oh. I just, I just, is it? I wanted to know which age group, ethnic group, gender, or nationality <laughs> she was going to slag off next. <laughs> oh look, I can if you really want me to. Um, what have you got for me first? And I'll um, sure. Okay. Well, this is. Uh, oh yeah, this was what I was going to say. This is another David Fincher video. Uh, this one is a bit less like a horror movie taking place in real life than Jenny's Got a Gun. It's 
refreshingly sort of free of life-destroying child sexual abuse. Mm. Uh, but it is also one of those rare black and white videos where the lack of colour allows the sort of kinetic nature of the dancing to really stick out. It's actually like compared to something like the Boys of Summer video, which is just a kind of <laughs> half-assed you know, late night perfume commercial. This is actually, uh, yeah, it's not the most interesting or the most dignified choreography in the world, but it definitely sort of sticks with you. Like, you know, this kind of, this Vogue thing, it'll stand out, you know, looking back in a way that like the Fergalicious video, I'm guessing, will not stand out in 10 years time. Yeah. Madonna was introduced to the Voguing scene by two choreographers. Jose Gutierrez Extravaganza and Luis Extravaganza, they're both their real names, mm. at the Sound Factory <laughs> Club in New York, and she just ran with it. She went, here's a scene I can borrow for my next thing. I already used gospel and burning crosses on my last one. What have we got to go for it? Voguing. It's been around for quite a while. It comes from the Harlem Ballroom Drag Ball Club culture, which involves, as far as a boring straight guy can tell, a lot of sort of performance that involves runway and cover model style, walking and posing performance and outfits and gender bending you know type among the gay community of the 80s and 90s or at least those are the parts that madonna borrowed for vogue anyway the, mm. this video but it was quite elaborate old subculture that still exists and continues and thanks to stuff like rupaul's drag race it's probably far more mainstream now than it was even after madonna made a music video about it but um yeah she was definitely ahead of her time here at least by straight white person standards certainly yep. But, yeah, uh, you got any quotes from that? <laughs> Sometimes I stick my finger in my pussy and wiggle it around the dark wetness and feel what a cock or tongue must feel like when I'm sitting on it. It's good. Um, I don't know how I feel about this, though. Um, I love my pussy. It is the complete summation of my life. It's the place where all the most painful things have happened, but it has also given me indescribable pleasure. That doesn't really require that doesn't require any further <laughs> exploration, I think. But um, there's a that's I've edited that for time, Tom, because it's um, quite Hang a significant. Uh, oh my god! Um, <laughs> oh, sometimes I stare at it in the mirror when I'm undressing and wonder what it would look like without any hair on it, like I was a baby. Oh, so cool. it's so good. It's a prince. Wondering if she could get any. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is pretty weird. Um, <laughs> All of it's bizarre, but yeah, it's okay. We t- did we talk? We've already talked about a banging a fat dude. We've already talked about that one. I think I'm run- I, I thought we were running out, but there's just so much shit in this book. That page actually gets even worse, but never mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, look. Either way, this was her best song ever to date. This yep. was number one in thirty countries. Wow, it was the biggest selling single of 1990. It sold two million copies just in the USA, just the single. Oh, that was how big Madonna was at the time. She could sell two million copies with the last fucking song on the Dick Tracy soundtrack. <laughs> this isn't even off an album. This is off a fucking movie soundtrack for a movie which, at the time, was popular, but no one gives a fuck about now, really. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Can we make a sequel for that, Dick Tracy Two? <laughs> is it belated sequel? Oh, it'll be rebooted. Don't you yep. worry about that. Fantastic. Did you have anything else about Vogue? No, that's it, Tom. Um, nothing else for that for me, do you? Um, not really. The last part is the only interesting bit. The rest of it's just like do a dance. But um, the last part is just a list of old oh, movie stars. she does. That's yeah, right. she just rears them off. I'm still not sure if this qualifies as camp or if this is just Madonna sort of trying to guess what gay people might like. Yep. But yeah, at one point she says, Rita Hayworth gave good face, did she? 
I mean, yes, she did, but why are you telling me that in a song? Yeah, it's Also, weird. she <laughs> name-checks Jimmy Dean, who is an American sausage pitchman magnate who appears in the James Bond movie Diamonds Are Forever. So I'm assuming she wanted to say James Dean, but the syllables <laughs> didn't work because that's a different guy. But yeah, that's about the most interesting thing about it. How many people does she mention at the end? She keeps... Uh, she goes Jimmy it's quite long. It's like a dozen lines of just yep. people, just various old movie stars. And Was it just like, we, we need another verse? She's like, oh, fuck it. I'll just... Yeah. You'd think you would do models. You know, yeah. this was like the start of the supermodel yeah, era. This was true. the start of the Elm McPherson, and Cindy Crawford supermodel thing. You would think, you would look at the cover of Vogue and go, all right, who's on here? Yeah. But instead she's just reeled off, you know, a bunch of dead movie stars. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's sort of as <laughs> if MC Scat Cat at the end of Opposites Attract just um, listed a bunch of people that weren't opposites. I think that would yeah, make yeah. no sense. All either. cartoon characters no one cares about would, anymore. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Astro Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Beetle Bailey. Who else have you got? It after, yeah, for Garfield. sure. Maybe that's what he can do when we reboot him next year, <laughs> providing the Kickstarter gives us enough cash to acquire the rights. Um, yeah, so yeah. I wish I had a run up to that. You could list off a funny list of cartoon characters in that stupid voice she uses. In that. She sings it in this weird kind of stilted, yep. kind of mistressy voice. It's weird. She sounds like she's Jimmy already... Jimmy Rogers, Jimmy Dean. Yes. Yeah, like she's on a telephone. She sounds like she's prepping for a role as a sort of dominatrix that would kind of come into play in the sex book, that kind of... <laughs> Absolutely. Era, what was that erotic, that kind of weird dominatrix vibe she did for a bit? Well, I'll see if there's any dominatrix work later on in the sex book. Time. There probably is. There probably is. towards the end in the vanilla, vanilla ice section, which we'll get to. I'm at sure some she manages to defend the entire yep. S and M community by <laughs> saying they're all you know, secret pedophiles or something. All right, let's go on quickly before I say something really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Five weeks for that. Um, 15 million people listen to Madonna. No doubt about that. And 75 cents on, on the Discogs. But as you mentioned, Tom, she sold 2 million of these. So there must be so many fucking copies of this out there. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me at all. So up next, um, 9th of June for one solid month, four weeks, is Heart. All I want to do is make love to you. Yeah. This song is so it? fucking weird. I've got absolutely no idea what's going on. It's about a chick who picks up a hitchhiker and bangs him in a motel with the intent on getting pregnant. Is that the best way to go about conceiving a child these days? <laughs> Dude could be a fucking serial killer and it raises a serious question. Is IVF too expensive? <laughs> well, it's cheaper than uh, a bottle of Stone's Green Ginger Wine and 20 bucks worth of petrol mm. plus a night at Davo's Hothouse Motel. Yeah, absolutely. But it's sort of, um, look, I don't know about this one, Tom. Um, lyrics, I, don't, I, I, have a, I was going to read a few lyrics out. I don't know whether you were going to hit the lyrics. No, but the, lyric, the lyrics of this song... Um, <laughs> they tell a story. They, they weave, do. They, they weave a tale. Oh, they paint a picture, Tom, very vivid. Um, a picture tells a thousand words. These song lyrics tell probably a million words. I don't, that makes no sense in what I'm talking about. But she does say in the song, Heart... Um, do her name is Hart, the singer of the band, I think. She's just called Hart. Um, so we found this hotel. It was a place I knew well. We made magic that night. He did everything right. He brought the woman out of me so many times easily. And in the morning when he woke, all I left him was a note. I told him, I'm the flower, you are the seed. We walk in the garden, we planted a tree. Don't try to find me, please don't you dare. Just live in my memory. You'll always be there. Now, imagine waking up to that fucking note. 
Mm. Imagine I remember the boning. I don't remember planting a tree, but at least you didn't make a big fuss about my chlamydia. That's probably what I was Exactly thinking. right. I sort of I, I can't really imagine it, but you're a hitchhiker, you just want to get from A to B, that's the plan. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, like I you know, I've got to get somewhere I don't have a license or something's happened, I'm gonna I'm gonna hitchhike. Instead you get, get from D to P. D to, <laughs> <laughs> you get picked up in a car, you you, ha- you get chatting and it's like, okay, yeah, it's a rainy night, okay, this isn't the best for me the the woman that picks you up says oh look do you want to come and stay in my hotel room you're like okay that'd be nice to have somewhere to stay and then we can continue the journey in the morning you know you get chatting you find out you've got something in common you end up banging that's fine um and then you wake up in the morning you roll over to expect to see you there and then you've just and you've got a note talking about (laughs) i am the flower you are the seed you're like fucking hell you know i've just had sex with uh, with a psycho like i'm surprised i'm am i has uh, you know you'd be checking for your organs to make sure that your liver hadn't been removed or you know what what organs are they trade on the black market these days tom probably that but yeah kidneys you'd be going are my kidneys there what's going on this is the bizarrest fucking thing that's ever happened in my life and it also begs the question when she says so the very first line of this we found this hotel it was a place i knew well so this isn't the first roundabout, uh, you know. Mm. <laughs> this isn't the first yeah, roundabout. You must really go through the condoms and the, not the condoms, the pregnancy tests. Absolutely she's doing right. This, every I know, this is a place I know. Well. So she's just driving around. As soon as she checks the weather app on her phone, which she didn't. She was looking at the weather channel or whatever. As soon as it's a rainy night, she's in the car. I'm out and about. There'll be some hitchhiker. Fills up the tank again. Okay, I'm, out, I'm out driving around. There'll be a hitchhiker that needs a ride in the rain, and then I'll bang him with the hopes of getting pregnant. Now. That just seems like fuck the weirdest thing that I can... Oh, I don't know. Look, I, I give her a hard time, but A, I should point out that one, I assume this is a fictional story, um, and B, yeah, look, I, I don't know. If you want to have a child, there's different lengths that you go to. Um, yeah. I think I think uh, Heart's Vibe was a kind of like a sort of... Uh, they were like a girl rock they were, power yeah. group, and I think they were kind of an answer to your kind of... Aerosmith style, you know, 70s, 80s power kind of, you know, rock kind of things. And I think that they were good at doing a kind of feminine energy version of the kind of balls out, dick swinging, Aerosmith, love in an elevator kind of thing. Like they did Barracuda, they did Magic Man and stuff. These are all about, you know, women, you know, it's like sex and power and rooting and stuff like that. So, you know, I think this kind of edgier sort of stuff is what, Probably got it to number one. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> oh, for sure. And look, I guess everyone that's listening... It's, it's this, a little bit dangerous. Oh, know, it's, it is a little bit dangerous. It's on the edge and I think, you know, people are attracted to the danger. And what I like also, Tom, is that you've got this plant of the flower, the seed stuff. The guy's like, fucking hell, what's this about? And, and I personally think, well, what was the end result of this? You know, was there a child? Did she get what she wanted? What Mm. happened? But luckily in the song later on, she does (laughs) mention that it happened one day, we came around the same way. You can imagine his surprise when he saw his own eyes. I'm not sure whether... What what's happened there has, has his you know his eyes been removed and given to someone else, but probably sure. not because how could he see them? It makes no sense. It's not that I, neuromancer from the Mike and the Mechanics necromancer raising the dead again. I hope Jesus exactly. So I assume by that what she means is the son, the kid had the same eyes as the dad. Similar, well not the same, not the exact same eyes. Similar eyes. His eyes were smaller. I imagine he was a child, but um, you get what what the song's trying mm-hmm. to say. I said, please, please understand. I'm in love with another 
another man. What he couldn't give me was the one little thing that you can. So I guess what we learn is that, yep, she did have a child and the reason she was driving around in the rain to bang random strangers was probably just because of erectile dysfunction of her husband. Yeah, and she's not particularly flattering about his junk either by no. the sounds of it. <laughs> no, exactly. Unless she's talking about one individual sperm. For sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so probably, yeah. I, th- I think the whole song really is about infertility, um, sort of the ability, the uh, you know, the inability to have a child mm. and what lengths people will go to when they're unable Expensive to. Expensive IVF. Exactly, they can't, yeah. they can't, this is, a, this is a song that's raising awareness about the costs of IVF. Um, I've always thought that and I think the lyrics really speak for themselves and I hope that since, since the 90s, I think the price has come down probably for that, <laughs> probably as a result of this song. I think people, the, the IVF people have said, yeah, it is a bit expensive. Thanks, Hart, for raising this, bringing this to our attention. You know, we'll, we'll drop the price down a little bit for that, so that's good. Um, this video is directed by the guy that did the videos for Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 videos, yes. um, which are all completely fucking batshit. Andy Morahan, he's called. He yep. did the epic, overblown video, uh, quotation marks, D- trilogy that most people do not realise is actually supposed to be a trilogy, not helped by the fact that Axel was such a prick that his wife left him halfway through <laughs> filming them so that the same character is played by two different women, in quotation marks, <laughs> which are Don't Cry, November Rain and Estranged, respectively. Yep. And if you are a bit younger and you think pop videos are over the top now, go back and check those out. They are the Chinese democracy of pop <laughs> videos. They're like something that Michael Jackson would make if he was a white uh, metal head. Yeah. The brilliance is, Tom, that um, you've also got off that series of albums, you also have um, You Could Be Mine. Oh, Features on the, yes. <laughs> on the Terminator 2 Judgment Day soundtrack, which is, it's, it's sort of a bit of a live video type scenario, but does feature um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in there coming in as the Terminator. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Doing a bit of the, the Terminator 2 mm-hmm. scan on the members of Guns N' Roses. I believe that he decides they are a waste of amor. Exactly right. That was the final word on Guns N' Roses. So even outside this trilogy, it's, it's pretty entertaining but um Estranged must be one of the fucking weirdest music videos I've ever seen in my life as the name um, would suggest it is it's I, mean, com- I know that's not what Estranged means but it is fucking strange it's, it's completely bizarre um if you've not watched it it goes for about 10 minutes go and watch it right now because it's com- it's just ape shit um don't know what the hell is going on <laughs> um, no idea does yeah it features yeah I think there's a lot of there's a lot of dolphin um yeah it ends, <laughs> metaphors it, it ends with him swimming with dolphins yeah at yep. one point Slash just rises out of the ocean to a guitar solo. At one point, I'm pretty sure Axel jumps off the bow of a ship, which is about 30 metres up in the air. It's quite impressive. Mm. Yeah. It's fucking... Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, Slash. He was bored of soloing on a clifftop, so he decided to rise majestically out of the water like fucking Aquaman. Absolutely right. Just shredding his ass off. And this is what I loved about this period of music where if you'd released an album such as Guns N' Roses did with Appetite for Destruction that sold, what, north of 20 million copies, like just a shitload, when it got to time for the next album... Um, I think the record company was pretty much willing to do whatever you asked them oh, to do. 100%. The balance of the sort of the power dynamic had shifted. Um, you said I need five million for a music video. They're like, okay, yeah, that's fine because it'll be huge and we'll be able to sell a heap more albums. Go ahead. Um, 
yeah, the music videos probably didn't relate <laughs> to the public as well as people would have hoped, but they're fantastic in the sense that they're completely nuts. So yeah. good stuff. Um, this was written by Mutt Lang, who I've previously mentioned was Shania oh, yes. Twain's husband, and as his combined album produced albums that he's produced sales combined must be like ten billion. So oh yeah, good on he's him. nuts. Um, anything else for heart? Tom? No, that's enough about yep. wanting to get AIDS from a hitchhiker. Let's move on. <laughs> Absolutely. 6.5 mil um, and 6 cents you can get this for, wow. so, which is significantly cheaper than the cost of... Um, 6.5 mil, that's good though. They must good, have yeah. a fan base. I remember growing up, I knew one guy who was really into heart, but that's all. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's how I knew. The, like, like I honestly, when I was younger, I just thought it was probably just one person. Oh, well. yeah. Like, it's only because of him that I knew that they were actually, a, you know, this older band that have done heaps of shit. Certainly, yeah. certainly. Barracuda, yeah. good song, too. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's, it's less weird in, in, <laughs> in sort of, I guess, the goal of the characters in, in the song itself. Um, yeah. But it's good, so cool. That's that's um that was for four weeks. So up next um is Roxette. It must have been love, Tom. Oh, well, you are the rocks expert. I am. Look, this went to number one in Zimbabwe, so you know it's good. Um, <laughs> how many copies do you think Robert Mugabe bought? Oh, I'm assuming he bought one for all of his family, one for everyone who was planning to have mm-hmm. killed, one for all the political prisoners that he had Absolutely. chained up in a dungeon somewhere. Look, Mugabe was a big Roxette fan as far as I know. Why wouldn't he be? Um, look, you know I joined the draw out a long time ago, Tom, so I feel like I, I, I can speak rumor. about these guys. So, um, yeah, look, um, I don't know who your favourite Swedish duo are, but um, there's not a lot. <laughs> I'm a big ABBA fan, but yep. um, yeah... There's more than two people in that group, I guess. That so, does not count as a duo. Yeah, so look, this was originally recorded and released in 1987 as a Christmas song. Okay. Um, but in 1990, the dudes behind the Pretty Woman soundtrack, they came knocking and said, we need a song. We're doing Pretty Woman. It's got uh, Richard Gere in it. <laughs> you know, Sweden, they love Richard Gere. Rock said, oh, we love that guy, absolutely. <laughs> you want to get involved? Who else is in it? Julie Roberts? Oh, yeah, we'll get into that. So what they did was they just re-recorded this song, changed the lyrics just a fraction. Took out the stuff. Took out, took the, I think there was like a bit of a jingling bell thing at the start okay. of the song. So I think they just made a few light edits, re-released this, um, put it onto the Pretty Woman soundtrack. And I think the Pretty Woman soundtrack is the best music soundtrack in the history of music. Is it's that a fair assessment? pretty sweet from what I recall. Could you give me a refresher course? Oh, well, look, I obviously... I remember Mike had it on vinyl, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> got quite a lot of plays at parties, if I remember. Yeah, it's got Wild Women Do by Natalie Cole. Oh, yeah. um, sure. You know, What You Only Dream About, Wild Women Do. Um, <laughs> that's a fucking banger. You can't deny that. You can't. Um, obviously, this Roxette song. Um, and oh, I think... Fame by Bowie, that's a fucking banger too. Fame by Bowie, exactly right. Um, and I think probably one of the finest songs that's ever been written um, is King of Wishful Thinking by Go West. <laughs> if that's not the best song um, of the 90s, I don't know what it is. So um, I'll get over you, you know I will. I pretend my ship's not sinking. Mm. I'm the King of Wishful Thinking. So yep. a very limo-heavy video clip. I Absolutely remember. right. So yeah, And Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison's on there as well for all those old cars out there that like that sort of <laughs> shit so yep and there's some chili willies on there as well um, oh and it's good to see Peter Satira getting a second bite oh, of the apple after the, right. his masterful Karate Kid 2 performance definitely definitely glad so, they gave him a 
another chance. For sure. So look, Roxette, um, they've taken, and, and this is what I respect about Roxette. You know, they just took an old Christmas song that people yeah. didn't know and they went, let's just dust this it's, up a it's bit. like per their last hit as well, which was, you know, that their big break in America was a fluke from a college student. It sounds like they've had another bit of good luck here where someone's just come along and said, hey, do you got any shit lying in the bottom drawer for a movie soundtrack that, you know, it's about this old guy and a prostitute. It's probably not going to do anything. It's yep. a searing indictment of gritty, you know, <laughs> sex worker exploitation and stuff. And then... There was a few script changes and the whole thing went on to be a huge hit, you know? Absolutely right. Absolutely. But, you know, they've done well. Good on them for, uh, you know, getting hits where you least expect mm. them. Um, totally. The music video is shot in a warehouse, which is where all the sickest music videos <laughs> are shot. Um, and Per is wearing a trench coat. So I think I We're don't care. I don't sure, fucking yeah. care who you are. If you... <laughs> Don't know what you're doing through a music video and someone says to you, how about filming it in a warehouse? Here's some trench coats. You just say yes. You do it. I mean, <laughs> nobody has ever looked bad in an abandoned warehouse in a trench coat. Um, it's a great location for a music video. Pearl looks great. Um, this is intermixed with footage of Pretty Woman. Mm. Um, obviously, every song that's in a music video, you do that sort of shit. Um, approximately one minute of the actual song was used in the film and um, I didn't re-watch the film um, before doing this podcast to confirm exactly where it was used but I assume Julie Roberts was getting fingered. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to confirm that but sadly it would involve watching Julia Roberts playing the world's least realistic prostitute yep. so I'm not able to do that at this time but I'm happy to watch Dirty Dancing again if you want to do that. But we can certainly do that for sure. Seriously though, can you name a less realistic prostitute I think that woman on Mars with three cans from Total Recall is more believable <laughs> than Julia Roberts. I certainly bought that more, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wasn't buying this. Um, this is a film that I don't think I saw at the time that it I came out not. because I would have been too young to view. So I think by the time I did get around to watching it several years later, I don't know whether it just hadn't aged well, but I was just like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not really feeling this at all. This is kind of shit house. Um, it's kind of it kind of surprises me that it stuck around. I thought this might have gone the way of like beaches, as previously discussed, mm. where you can sort of see right. All right, I can tell why it's big at the time, but or cocktail, you know, yeah, sort of see why it's big at the time, but I don't really understand what universal quality this has. This is kind yeah. of like an '80s film that just got released in the '90s, I guess. So I mean, I suppose it's, it's got that fucking what's that bloody film? Educating Rita quality to it, the old, oh, yeah. not you know the a pig Pygmalion, the one where the you know the rich smart guy finds a street girl and saves rescues her from a life of depravity and stuff. Yep. Presumably that must be some sort of you'd like to think that sort of shit would age out, but apparently it must be a universe. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's enough about that's enough about Lyrical highlights for this hit. Um, it's not as good as she's got the look, but it does no. manage that ESL magic a little bit. <laughs> uh, that starting bit, I don't know why, maybe this is just me, but play whisper on my pillow, leave the winter on the ground. I wake up lonely, this air of silence in the bedroom and all around. Every time I hear that song, it makes me feel like I need to turn the heating on yeah, for some reason. It's just it's that snowy Swedish magic, I think. Oh, it is. It's very wintry. Um, it was a Christmas song, obviously, um, and those guys live in the Northern Hemisphere, so... Christmas is obviously winter, so I gather they just reused all yeah, the Christmas lyrics. Yeah, so that makes more up. sense. Yeah, Look, I should probably it's Christmas morning. There you go. I yeah. probably should have um, 
dug a bit deeper, Tom, and listened to the original before recording this podcast and done a side-by-side <laughs> comparison. I didn't do that. Um, but look, I did listen to Almost Unreal um, from the <laughs> Super Mario Brothers soundtrack, despite the fact that it has nothing to do with this, but that's Was fine. that the one that was originally from Hocus Pocus? Sure, certainly was, yeah, absolutely. Back when people didn't give a fuck, they just thought people were stupid, no one will care that the lyrics don't match the song at all. So, sure. look, that's, look, I'm big on this one, I think this is still a hit. Um, yeah, go check out that Pretty Woman oh, soundtrack. Um, if you don't like this song, just... Just play King of Wishful Thinking by um, Go West. That's pretty sweet. Or the Super Mario Brothers Super soundtrack. Super Mario Brothers soundtrack as well. In its entirety from start <laughs> to finish. Indeed, It's indeed. got Megadeth on it. Megadeth. Yeah, it does. What the fuck were they thinking? All right, we already did this. Okay, let's go. Let's move on. All right. Uh, Rock set 8.5 mil. That's a lot. That's fair enough. Um, they've got a lot of hits. 45 cents for this. But if you want to get the OG... Christmas single oh. of It Must Have Been Love. That's going to cost you $6.67. Oh, wow. Probably Sweden only. Release. Probably, I think so, yeah. So that's significantly more expensive. I wonder if it's Swedish language. Probably should have I think it's just in English, yeah. Oh, okay. I think it is in English, but I think that... But um, they yeah. probably printed about 300 of. Any reference to Christmas, I think they, they cut it out and replaced it with, um, with prostitute, I think, in the lyrics. So <laughs> I assume, I don't know, but yeah. Um, all right, guys. What time has it been? It's fucking hammer time. Exactly. 21 July for five weeks. MC fucking hammer with you can't touch this. Mm, Boom. Holy shit. Um, Is MC hammer, is that the best um, rap moniker of all time? Do you think? What's your name? I'm the fuck. I'm the hammer. I think it's pretty good. Is it better than like Ice Cube or something like that? It's definitely better than Ice Cube. Yeah. Ice Cube just makes you think of, you know, melting water, really. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Hammer, I think it's great. Um, The name itself is kind of, um, I actually had no idea why it was called MC Hammer, but according to um, the internet, so it's definitely true, (laughs) um, he was a bat boy for the Oakland A's baseball team. Hammer's from Oakland. Some kind of superhero. Yep. He's from Oakland, <laughs> yep. So there was the so baseball team, uh, Oakland, yes, Oakland A's in the in the major baseball league, um, that I think that they used for um the major league films, Tom. So not this team, <laughs> but uh so yep, so he was a bat boy. Um he got the name Hammer because he looked like a former baseball legend called um Hank Aaron, who was oh, known okay. as Hammering Hank. So it's a bit of a a bit of a long winded way to get to sure. the fact that he's called MC Hammer, but yeah. I find it still considering more plausible than LL Cool J's bullshit origin story, but yeah. <laughs> just to say you made it up, dude. No one's Todd. No one's fooled. Absolutely. So some of the members of um, the Oakland A's baseball team actually helped finance um, Hammer's oh, rap yeah. career. So that was nice of them to chip in. Um, and yeah, so he emerged in the late 80s, obviously representing Oakland. Um, and yeah. then this was his first big hit. He was also in the Navy for three years. Oh, mm. really? He was, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, I think he was kind of a blue, like he was a blue collar guy. Like, he, yep. yeah. He, um, between 2006 and 2007, in fact, uh, Hammer released a military inspired <laughs> rap song with a political message to President George W. Bush about sending American troops back home from war called Bring Our Brothers Home. Uh, it is weird as shit, I don't mind <laughs> saying. It's like a sort of half pro-war, pro-Bush anthem, but which is also about trying to convince noted hip-hop fan George W. Bush <laughs> to bring the troops home. It includes lyrics such as, 
I support you, sir. We got no beef. I'm just a rapper, your commander-in-chief. From out of my heart, my mouth do speak, so everything I'm saying, sir, is what I believe. I do believe that the children are our future, so why leave them open where rats can shoot them? They don't value life, so they ain't no talking to them. They think when they die, a bunch of virgins gonna screw them. So, you know, That's, it's um, good to see him throwing his uh, hat into the wind. And also, you don't hear enough rappers these days calling the president sir. Oh, you, you know? don't. Exactly right. Sure. There's a level of respect there that others don't sort of <laughs> adhere right. to, which These is really nice. so-called young people could take a lesson from the hammer. For sure. And it is also good to see that someone... that was When was that released, Tom? 2006, <laughs> seven. So it's good to see that someone, you know, an older rapper, saving some of their best rhymes for later in their career. Because usually, you know, they get worse as they go on, but certainly not with MC Hammer. He's getting better as he gets older. That's right. <laughs> it's pretty good. So Rick James tried to keep rappers from sampling his music. Ah, uh, yes. So yep. the... The big thing about this song is obviously the main, well, the, mu- the music component for the whole song is just from Super Freak. Um, so MC Hammer's just effectively rapping over that song. Um, so according to, to um, James, his lawyers authorised Super Freak without his permission. So oh, okay. Rick James didn't know that that was happening. Um, he heard about it when his friend told him about You Can't Touch This. When the song came on the radio, they were in the car, came on, he was like, the fuck's going on with this? Like, you know, yep. he was pissed off that he didn't, you know, license that, didn't give permission for it to be sampled, but he was appeased when he found out how much money he was making, um, but still he claims he wouldn't have done the deal if he was asked. Yeah, well, look, at least unlike fucking uh, one Mr. Vanilla W. Ice, yep. they didn't just pretend that it wasn't fucking no. directly <laughs> stolen from the song. <laughs> And when yeah. taken to court about it, at least they got permission to use it, you know, because that, like, as you say, it's the whole song. Oh, exactly. Like, without yeah. that, there's no... It's just that song with him just going, you can't touch this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which is, um, yeah. I don't know. It's not, um, yeah, it's not great. But uh, <laughs> how, how is the music video? Oh, look, Tom, um, the music video, it's iconic. The iconic music video for this one. Everyone probably knows the pants. They're very extraordinarily loose-fitting. Um, he does a dance where he, where he harem pants. It's sort of harem pants, yeah, exactly. So most of the music video, he's shimmying from one side of the screen to the other with his really wide pants, which um, is apparently known as quote the Chinese typewriter. Um, do they still call it that these days? Well, I always just Can... assumed that was the name of sexual position. Yes, I'm not. I'm already I'm... known for shouting stop hammer time in the bedroom, but it's fine because obviously no one else is in there. It's just me, so. <laughs> you can do what you want, Tom, in those right. sort of situations. So, but, um, yeah, I think people still do the Chinese typewriter sometimes. Yeah, I assume they do, but it might have a different name. I don't. I've been known to do it at the supermarket when there's a long queue, and I'm just trying to get from one side of the queue to the other, whilst making it clear to the people I'm not trying to push in front of them. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, and maybe one of them is a pretty fat bloke. Yeah, so in China they just call that dance the typewriter, or do we not know? Do we I don't know so. whether people do yes. that. <laughs> I don't really. Yeah, I mean, I I only knew that it was called the Chinese typewriter after googling <laughs> this <laughs> no, like five enough. minutes ago. I, I didn't even know. Ninety nine point nine five percent of people when showed that dance would say that's the hammer dance. Oh, that's exactly what they would right. Just call it, but, exactly yeah. right, which is good. So the um, American hammer. Look, it, it's good, um, but. You know, this is a great video, but Hammer is known for great music videos. I think that all of his, every, you know, the entire, his entire career, his whole music video sort of series, his oeuvre, I guess you could say, is just one hit after another. Um, Adam's Groove, Tom, which is one of my oh, favourites, which course. featured um, on the Adam's Family soundtrack. Um, 
it featured Hammer getting decapitated in the first 10 seconds of the video and then his head bounces around <laughs> the Adams mansion um, while he raps for about five minutes. So that's not fucking weird as all, at all. Um, and then his other video for the album subsequent to this, Too Legit, Too Quit. Um, that, music video, that music video goes for about 15 minutes um, and the first five minutes of those is F-grade celebrities mourning over Hammer purportedly quitting the biz. <laughs> Um, some shots of Hammer working out at like James Brown's house uh, James Brown hitting Hammer with a Street Fighter 2 fireball and then Hammer entering into a spinning miniature earth and flying off into a concert where he spends the next 8 minutes telling people he's too legit to quit by doing the I can't do this because this is a podcast Tom the two legit to quit oh, uh, okay. uh, hand signal um <laughs> And then at the end of Michael Jackson impersonator, who we don't see his face, only his sparkling glove, does the too legit to quit hand gesture <laughs> to indicate that, hey, he too is too legit to quit. Oh, the whole sick. thing's fucking insane. But um, so I do, you know, while I do obviously love this one, you can't touch this. Um, obviously, Adam's Groove and Too Legit to Quit. His finest music video, in my opinion, is um, one for a song called <laughs> Pumps and a Bump. That is a classic. Um, where he's wearing... A leopard print speedos um, and has an erection for the entire duration of the music video. I have seen this video. I thought maybe uh, people were exaggerating that, but no, yep. he's clearly half a bar deep. Yeah, and it's shot at his house in Oakland, and he has a waterfall you can turn on with a remote control, which is sick. But um, the, the thing I like about Hammer is that, you know, from, from what I know about the man, he realizes that the rap game is constantly about the objectification of women. That's, mm. you know, you look at a lot of music videos around this era, so, certain so, things like Two Live Crew, live crew yes. for example, you know, Pop That Coochie. It's, <laughs> it's basically just objectifying women and Hammer sort of looked at that and I think he was probably quite offended by the fact that music Clearly, videos yes. were just women being objectified. So he said, how can I flip this on its mm. head? What can I do? If I wear a leopard print, you know, speedos and have an erection, then maybe I'll be objectifying myself drawing attention away mm. from women. So I think mm. he, what he's done is, you know, he's quite a subversive character. He's tried to sort of flip the traditional music video on his head, I think, there with Pumps and a Bump. And yeah, I, I think there, there's no better way to do that than being, you know, having a boner in a leopard print bikini So <laughs> bottom. So um, great video. Check it out. Um, check all of them out, I think. Yeah. Just all of those. I mean, you talked about the Guns N' Roses trilogy before. I think... Pumps in a Bump, Too Legit to Quit, and Adam's Groove is probably another music video trilogy yeah. that people just aren't talking 100%. about these days. It was visionary. Oh. And some people suggested that that Pumps in the Bump was that marked the end of his career, but I prefer to think it was the beginning of the comeback of the male Speedo, which is now the number one men's video clip outfit in use today. Oh, know? absolutely. Like, I think... just the other day I was watching the new Ed Sheeran in the video, and it's just wall-to-ball <laughs> budgie smugglers and ginger pubes, you know? We have MC Hammer to thank for that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Look, and just in case you think we're exaggerating, check out the video. Like, he, this, we're not talking about... He's not wearing boxer shorts. He's wearing a thong. Basically. Yeah, he is. He's wearing a thong. It's basically yep. one man in a thong dancing around on his own driveway, which yep. is... It's a special moment. Absolutely. It's good. Um, yeah, if you do check it out on YouTube, actually, I should put a link in the... Um, whatever the fuck people do on their podcast notes. Um, because I think the music video was banned by MTV because he, he, they said, we can't show a man with an erection. <laughs> um, not in 
those speedos. <laughs> so he made another. There's a second video out there where he's like fully dressed, and it's like nighttime. Where I imagine oh, okay. they probably just filmed it all at the same day and just went, "Put some fucking clothes on. Let's do this again, just in case." Um, so yeah, so you got to watch the original one because otherwise you'll watch the other one and have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. Um, lyrical highlights for this. Um, look, some rappers and rap fans of the day accused MC Hammer of being a bit of a lame-ass sellout who mostly did shit rhymes about dancing, e.g. famously Chris Rock in the movie CB4, <laughs> suggesting that he was little more than a black vanilla rice. But look, I don't know what they're talking about, Ben. Listen to some of these rhymes. <laughs> Go with the flow, it is said, that if you can't groove to this, then you probably are dead. So wave your hands in the air, bust a few moves, run your fingers through your hair. This is it for a winner. Dance to this and you're going to get thinner. I mean, you know, I don't know what... I can't think of a better indictment of life on the streets... Oh, absolutely. I mean, and people that, talk you know, about the political lyrics of, you know, sort of... Public enemy. Public enemy, you know, yeah. and obviously talking about street life, NWA, those sorts of things. But I think that hits just as hard for me, Tom. So, especially, um, you know, if, if you're feeling a little bit, you know, body, you don't feel comfortable in your own body, you know that you can dance to this song and get a little bit thinner. So that's mm. good. And, you and know, if you've wondered if you probably are dead, then you know oh, that you, you know. probably are not dead. Absolutely. I mean, it's... it's you, Every morning when I wake up, I put the fingers on the on the on the side of the neck, check the pulse, make sure I'm alive. But sure there's no need. I just need to put this song on and dance around a bit, and then then you go. So it's all right. Um, all right, Hammer, two point six mil on oh, the Spotify. It's a lot of dudes. That is a lot of dudes. But, surprisingly, so oh, just cranking out Adam's groove. I think yeah. pumps in a bump. He's MC got Hammer and Sinead O'Connor are the surprises to me this yeah. much that they've both got twice as many listeners as Paula Abdul, who's still on television. Oh, exactly. Know, like, yeah. But she, you got to remember that Scat Cat is taking away a few That's of her true. listeners, probably. She's so. also mad that I'd have such a Yeah. Anyway. And 29 cents on Discogs, that's a deal, pick that's that up, so that's yes. okay. I think Super Freak might cost you more, so if you're on a budget and need that sort of um, <laughs> the, the part of the music, just pick this up, um, they're effectively the same thing. Um, moving up to August, 25th of August, mm-hmm. for three weeks, it is Faith No More, Tom with Epic. Now, oh, wow. can you believe this was a number one hit? And I'm not wow. saying that in a... I don't like this song. I'm saying this in quite the opposite of it seems just completely too weird for its time. 100%. You've got so you've got Mike Patton who's not I wouldn't say rapping, but he's sort of talking fast or yeah, singing it's fast, like funk, funky kind yep. of thing yeah. over sort of you know metal-ish riffs with some funk stuff in there. There's a massively long piano outro, not okay, not super yeah. long, but a piano outro, and the video is kind of weird as well. And I sort of look at this and go. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that um, it made it to number one because it's not the sort of... When you look at everything else yeah. in this, MC Hammer, the Scat Cat, yeah. uh, all that sort of stuff, it does sort of stick out no, a metal bit. metal does not appear on this list very often. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, one that, that surprises me, that this was such a big hit. 100%. This isn't even glam metal, which is the it's still the dominant style. Like, grunge hasn't arrived on the scene yet. Yeah. Like, and yet we've had Faith No More before we've had a Guns N' Roses song in the number one spot. True. You know? Like, yeah, no, totally. Like you say, it is really, it's very odd. It's got a weird sort of strange kind of video. Like, they're, they're dressed in this odd sort of LA skate punk gear kind of yep. thing. It's, yeah, it would never, this would never be a global number one hit now. It's way too weird and loud and heavy and nerdy and shouty. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, oh, and that was the end of their mainstream success. But then I remembered that three years later, they got to number one again in Australia by covering Lionel Richie. They certainly did. <laughs> but this was this was definitely the end of their US chart time, you know. Although. This was also what I would consider to be an actual... Not, I don't think they would have released this song thinking we're going to have a number one hit. But oh, this fuck, is no, it certainly... wasn't even the first single off this no. album. They yep. had another one first, yeah. Exactly, but this was certainly, uh, this is a song we like that we're going to release and put out there, whereas mm. I think Easy, I have a feeling there might have been some irony or some yeah, sort of yeah, like, no, were, let's they... just do something that's completely <laughs> different to what we usually they do. They did it because they'd been doing War Pigs Live, that's on Brixton Academy, yep. and then they wanted something for the next album to replace it so they just jokerly did like the least metal yeah, song exactly least, yeah. just like let's do something that'll annoy people who like war pigs absolutely <laughs> um look this is a great song i like this band oh, but like unfortunately it. did they pave the way for such shit bands like crazy town or the insane clown posse really <laughs> i mean if you wanted to be i love faith anymore but if you want to be the devil's advocate you certainly might suggest that this does hint at the coming of new metal in a decade's time yep. in fact they were yeah they were really like 10 years ahead but i i seriously think they're more interesting than it they sometimes got at the time i think they sometimes got called like funk metal and yep. lumped in with people like Infectious Grooves and the Chili Peppers and stuff. But I, I think they were more interesting than that. I think time has told. Yep. The fact that they're still around now, they just did like a BBC special the yep. other year. They're touring at the moment. I was going to see them last year, but I couldn't because yeah. of COVID. With a new album, not not just doing old shit. Oh, look, Tom, yeah. can you blame good bands for influencing shit bands? No, no, you can't. I don't think you can blame anyone for that. You can't blame good comedians for influencing shit ones either. Like, yeah... Oh, that's true. I think, um, yeah, I completely agree. You might say, look, this is um, the bands that you've influenced are all awful, but, you know, that's sort of... But then people, you can't... This is also a band you can't just rip off. They they are no, sort of unique. Well, Mike Patton <laughs> is obviously a very unique vocalist in the sense that, look, he can do almost anything, let's face that's it. true. Um, He's had about half a dozen side projects in the last... 10 years certainly so I think that his um, you know vocals uh, alone you can't just sort of go we're just going to clone this sort of band so I think the bands that came after this may have attempted to do that weren't able to do it and then you end up with come my lady come come my lady you're my butterfly sugar baby Um, yeah it gets a bit 311 yeah but interestingly um, I believe one of the early singers of Faith No More was Courtney Love Yes, yeah, she tried out for them, yep. I think, yeah. Yeah, and it also raises a question, um, are Faith No More a racist band after they drove <laughs> out the black element, quote unquote, or am I looking too much into this well, by getting rid of their singer apparently pre? Apparently that guy was a bit of a dick, supposedly yep. it was a, a unilateral, I know they always say that, but he said, I think I think the quote was, at one point he came, after being completely shithouse on tour, including falling asleep on stage, they yep. said at one point he just came into the room and said um, that he wanted all the, their new songs to be acoustic-only uh, okay. songs. And I think Roddy Bottom said, at that point I was just like, well, I'm leaving this band, so we left. And then outside, all the other dudes met him except that dude, and they were like, we're coming with you as well. Right. So it sounded like... Yeah, in this instance, I think it actually was musical differences. That yeah, <laughs> absolutely, for sure. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. A lot of bands, um, when changing the singer can be tough, but Faith No More obviously found a lot more success after they 
changed. Obviously, yes, once they true. once they got Mike Patton in, um, and look, I'm a big fan of um, of Mike Patton just uh, generally because you've mentioned that he is in a lot of different bands, and some of them they're they're quite quite diverse. So they are, certainly, um, I'm a big fan of that Lovage album. Don't know if you know about that. Yeah, it's certainly I love more Tomahawk, of a sort of Tomahawk yeah, red. yeah. So he's sort of done things that sort of yeah from sort of weirdish sort of um, sort of loungy hip hoppy type stuff through to all kinds of stuff. So no, definitely very interesting and obviously Mr. Bungle the band that he was originally in before mm. Faith No More he later claimed so. that he only joined Faith No More in order to promote his other <laughs> Mr. Bungle who were like his high school band I think he's wearing a, a shirt. Mr. Bungle yes, shirt in this video wearing quickly, his, yeah. yeah exactly which is which is pretty fun he's also so. wearing boxing gloves for some reason I think yep. possibly he was going to punch whoever decided that he should spend the entire video getting sprayed with water and having paint thrown at him <laughs> because it looks fucking uncomfortable frankly but Anyway. Absolutely, but yeah, as you mentioned, um, this wasn't the first single on the album. So oh. the first one didn't, I think, didn't get any traction. So released a song, oh, yeah. didn't really go anywhere. So the record label just said, "Look, um, we'll make a video for whatever song you want on the album, rather than you know." I think I don't really know <laughs> how it works being a record label, but apparently you go, "I think you should release this as a single," yep. and everyone's like, "Oh, what?" So. So Faith No More said, for the second single, we'll choose this one because it's more one of the more interesting or unique or out mm-hmm. there songs for the video clip. Um, so when they made the music video, it was on MTV all the time. Um, features an exploding piano and controversially a dying fish uh, yes. at the end. Now, apparently the fish belonged to Icelandic singer-songwriter Bjork, um, <laughs> who the story goes was given this at a poetry recital in San Francisco. And then she later passed it on to Faith No More at a party at Roddy Bottom's house in Berkeley. <laughs> and then they just went oh, and left it at the wow. end of this video and it died. So that's a chain of events that's very, very that unusual. Weird. I wonder if that's true or not. Hope it is. They, I really hope it is. I've heard claims that they both, that they killed the fish and that they didn't kill the fish. And, okay. Yeah, but who are we kidding? Look at the video. It's that fish is dead. Oh, look, it's I'll reach out to Bjork on Twitter, see, see if she'll get back to me and say, hey, can you contribute to this podcast? Was that your fish? See how we go with that. Um, what else you got for me? Um, lyrical spotlight. Supposedly, he said in an interview this was written about sexual frustration, which makes sense because he yep. was 22 at the time. A uh, small problem with that is that it does contain lyrics like, it's crying, bleeding, lying on the floor, so you lay down on it and you do it some more. <laughs> um, yeah, now I'm not on Twitter, so I'm not going to accuse someone of rape based on a thing they wrote 30 years ago. No. Mike also wrote uh, Girls of Porn next year for Mr. Bungle, so hopefully he was just doing a bit of one-handed creative writing there, I'm thinking. But yeah, really, it does... Apart from that bit, it does sound kind of vague, like it, it, it is really non-specific about what he's talking about, you know, which kind of suits the song, yeah. like Epic. Because it's called that, it sort of gives you the feeling that it's hinting at some giant thing, some in, sort of you know, indescribable thing, but yeah. Oh, absolutely right, yeah. I mean, I had no idea what the song was about when I was younger and probably still didn't it's, really realise yeah. so that. It's, it's, it's more it's, interesting than your average. Oh, it is, yeah, Like definitely. Gunners or Metallica lyric, you know. Yeah, any, any song that you don't really know and you're sort of left to your own interpretation, yeah. that's always more enjoyable, I think. So, yeah. Um, Faith No More, 3.3 million people oh, on, on, on Spotify, which is good. $1.79, which is up there. Uh-huh. So people definitely are willing to pay more uh, for this. I, looking at this up, I saw the cover for this, this mm. the single, and I was like, I've never seen that. Mm. You know, and I was, you know, I, we were kind of into these, not, you know, in the subsequent years. Yep. I would have sworn I would have seen this at someone's house somewhere. 
Yeah, I everyone so. had this album. Yep. But like, yeah, that it's got that weird f- flaming teardrop sort of Corona thing on the cover of it. Yep. But yeah, that I'd never seen the cover for Epic before, so um, yeah, maybe they didn't print as many of them. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. No, I I certainly um, hadn't either before checking it out. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I think people probably just bought full albums back when I went to house parties. I True, I yeah. Because you could spend like 30 <laughs> bucks on an album or like a CD singles for like 10 bucks. Yeah, like one song, so. You might only get one song. Absolutely, yeah. And a remix of it. For sure. And we should point out as well, something I didn't talk about at the start of the, the podcast is that now we're moving into the 90s where sort of the 80s was effectively all 7-inch singles and some yep. singles towards the end. We're moving into 1990 now, so now it's a bit of a mix of some seven-inch singles, some singles, CD singles yeah. are starting to, to, to come up Record's now. So definitely on the way out. Absolutely. So I think... Yeah. I, I, but I don't think CDs were fully... CDs I don't think were super popular now, but you, yeah, some of these songs you possibly could have purchased on the, on the CD single. We would have been buying them on cassette, I reckon. I would have, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was By 1990, I was certainly very much in the cassette zone i would suggest so um yep yeah. so there you go dollar 79 that's going to set you back mm. a bit more than usual but um that's good three weeks of that i would buy one of those if i saw it in a shop i'll i'll keep my eyes peeled tom certainly <laughs> just for you um 15th of september for six weeks six weeks. a month and a half of solid power from john bon jovi oh. blaze of glory his favorite son wow um, who isn't a fan of Bon Jovi the band and John Bon Jovi the man? <laughs> I Most, did not know people? that they were two different entities until researching this, in fact. Yep, yep. So there's Bon Jovi and mm. then there's John Bon Jovi. Yes. His real name is so John is... Bon Jovi Jr. He's Italian, yes. Um, but like most dudes in the 80s with a non-American name, non sort of, sorry, in, yeah. Yep. Like Michael Bolton, we've mentioned him before, they modified their name to make it more commercially appealing. Um, Michael Bolton's real name is actually Michael Bolutin. Yeah. So even the great Mickey <laughs> B is not immune to changing his name. Oh, absolutely. People, people change their names. But um, it's interesting now. I think people felt like they had to do this in the 80s or 90s. But yeah, I think I now people are sort of probably owning you know, their, yeah, their names totally. a bit more, I think, which is a Movie good thing. Movie stars too. They're much more likely to have TV stars, just odd names. You know? For sure, yeah. It used to have to be like, oh, I have to you know, have a name that's like yes. Angela Smith or something. And people, <laughs> it's just like, no. Now, it's, it's, I think... I think it's better to, for people to sort of just use their their birth names. Um, yeah. Oh, just to clarify, it. yeah. So as we were saying, so this is by John Bon Jovi solo, not yep. Bon Jovi. The band. Yeah, this is by John Bon Jovi. This so. is part of his solo career. Absolutely. So look, as I mentioned though, but yeah. So John Bon Jovi Jr. went for John Bon Jovi. Did he miss the mark? Should he have called himself John Bona Jovi? <laughs> Which is my rap well, name that so I've taken on. So, yeah, I think that sounds a lot better. Yeah, John Boner. So, that's really good. Um, Boner Jovi, even. Boner Jovi, yeah. I think that works for me. So, I don't know, John, if you're listening to this, it's not too late to change it again. I think you can do that. Reinvigorate your career with a new name. Um, this is the theme song from Young Guns 2. It sure fucking is. Um, is this the best film Emilio Estevez was ever in? Oh, yep, and Lou Diamond Phillips too, certainly, yep. and um, Kiefer Sutherland as well. It's simultaneously all of their best work. Yeah, oh, for I sure. I mean, speaking of mullets, like, that film is just a mullet festival 
Yeah. There are so... Not just everyone has a giant mullet, but there are so many shots of them just nobly on horseback looking into the wind with just yep. six mullets of equal magnificence just trailing into the sunset. Which is interesting because I don't really know whether the mullet was a hairstyle of choice in 1850, <laughs> uh, but um, perhaps it was. I don't really know. Was Billy the Kid rocking a mullet? Perhaps we will never know. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of mullets there. Um, interestingly, John Bon Jovi was approached about including the song um, Dead or Alive on the soundtrack uh, to this yes. song, yeah. but he didn't think the lyrics were suitable for um, for the film, so he decided to write a new song. Um, the lyrics of that song are, I'm a cowboy, on a steel horse I ride, I'm wanted, dead or alive, yeah. wanted, dead or alive. Now, those lyrics seem pretty fucking appropriate to me, um, <laughs> given the song is about cowboys riding around, etc., yeah. etc. It's not as if the lyrics are, I'm horny, 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 <laughs> so horny, 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 horny. So, not sure why he didn't just say, yeah, use yeah. that song. But, you know, That's he's weird, a professional. Man. He said, I'm going to write a new song. He wrote this song. Um, that was pretty good. So... I just while we're talking Bon Jovi, is "Slippery When Wet" the best album title of the eighties? God damn! I mean, is it is it reference to sign? You know, you see the sign on the fl- slip. Someone's mopped the floor. Slippery when wet. Is it just? Mm. Is it a bit sexy? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I it's think it's I'm, very sensual. I'm detecting a slight possible sexual allusion. Slight oh, pump. Yeah. It's probably just a coincidence that it's. A- well, I, I think that one's just about pumping up a flat tyre, but as I mentioned before, we don't really know. But yeah, look, I think Slippery Room Wet is the finest. Um, and as we learnt last week in our 80s rap, Bon Jovi didn't really hit number one in Australia at all, but they had like four number ones in America um, in the oh, late prior 80s. To this, so, yeah. yeah, so people loved the shit out of that band at the time. They sure so did, yeah. The amount of Slippery Room Wet albums they sold oh, and um, Bon yeah. Jovi, New Jersey. Um, through the roof so this was nominated um, but did not win an Oscar for best original song in 1991 so so, okay. yeah, so the Oscars were these guys I think this is a great song but as you've mentioned prior um, well Dick Tracy soundtrack mm. um, so they lost out to Madonna not to the song that we've talked about not before but um, to the song Sooner or Later now, I don't know what the fuck that is. Like, so. Yeah, that's weird. Absolutely. I just assume if you're going to lose out to a song written by Madonna from Dick Tracy, it would have been Vogue, but no, apparently sooner than later. No idea what the fuck that is. <laughs> um, John Bon Jovi did get the band back together to perform this at the Academy Awards telecast, then didn't win. So that's just that weird thing they do, where they don't want to give away who's going to win by having them perform at the Oscars, but that means that the people have to perform and then lose. Yeah, it's completely it's ridiculous. Like, so. um, what was it? They did the whole South Park song, that giant performance of Blame Canada uh, at the Oscars, the one where Matt and Trey showed up on mm. acid wearing dresses. Oh, yeah. And then they lost to Phil Collins for the Tarzan soundtrack. <laughs> you know, that one everyone remembers. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So what were the big films of that year? Then? Oh, look, Young Guns 2 obviously was one of the biggest. But um, look, the reason that uh, this song didn't win is obviously we mentioned Dick Tracy. But also, um, look, there would have been a lot of other great film soundtracks to accompany sure. such films as Ghost. Um, Home Alone, <laughs> Pretty Woman, we've already talked yeah, about. Um, Dances with Wolves, Orchestral. Total Recall, Sure, uh, Back to the Future 3, 
Die Hard 2. Worst Die Hard. Um, presumed Innocent. Don't remember that. <laughs> uh, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. Go Ninja. Go and Ninja. Kindergarten Cop. Mm. So a lot of great films there. <laughs> True, no, lots of great films. Look, we are well into the 90s now, but clearly nobody told Bon Jovi. Yep. Uh, the video for this is a masterpiece of the format called Doing a Solo on the Edge of a Cliff While Helicopter Swoops Around You. Uh, and do you remember my Samantha Fox mullet theory, which yep. is that, yeah, if the smaller you are and the bigger your hair is, the even smaller it makes you. And a good way to make that even more blatant is to have the person with the giant mullet completely alone on an enormous fucking cliff filmed from a chopper half a mile away. It's like looking at a troll doll in a leather vest through binoculars <laughs> um, from a moving vehicle. <laughs> yes, anyway, Bon Jovi looks like a complete tool. He's wearing renegade cosplay. He's about four foot tall. He's rocking out on the traditional unplugged guitar, visibly not playing the song. All of this is very normal for the previous decade, though. Plus, this shit must have been expensive. Like, rather than just play clips from the movie edited into the video, they've set up, like, a whole drive-in cinema on the edge of a fucking canyon to play them on. Now, props to the props department. There's, like, rusted-out cars, there's speakers, there's a snack bar. I think I saw a Street Fighter 2 machine up the back. <laughs> they've flown a helicopter around all of this all day and night, and at the end of it, they've set the whole thing on fire. So that just shows how big Bon Jovi was at the oh, point, yeah. like you say, like, you know. And bad luck to the guy who just wanted to see Gremlins 2 and fell 6,000 feet trying to find the men's, you know. But um, it was worth it for that last shot of them. I, honestly, so I swear to God, I kept rewinding it, trying to tell if it was real or not. It looks like it's, it's definitely on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. A real cliff. But at the end of the shot, they pull away and it's on the top of a mesa. You know, those uh, tabletop yeah. things. There's a thing on fire. But I couldn't tell if it was effects or not. I found myself thinking, would they have helicoptered all of that up there just to set fire to it? Because there's no one else there. It's just yeah. him. But, yeah, I honestly couldn't tell. But either way, it's really there. It's really on the edge of this fucking cliff. So, yeah, I was kind of impressed by that. That's good. We'll get John Bon Jovi on the podcast. We'll <laughs> ask him because um, this is eventually, obviously, we're going to pivot this into a just an interview podcast because that's what 98% sure. of podcasts are and we'll get John Bon on um, for, we'll get Bjork on episode 1 to ask her about that fish <laughs> and then episode 2 will be John Bon talk us through the Blaze of Glory video just, clip were you up weird. on a cliff did they set it on fire just makes me think we're in October and we haven't cancelled anyone yet this no we weird. haven't we haven't I think that's that's a sign of the 90s not I even going to cancel Bon Jovi for no. being a 4 foot tall white Italian man who calls a motorbike a steel horse Absolutely, yeah. from a song that's not even from the soundtrack to a film about cowboys. He just no. liked thought of himself like that. Yeah, look, the mullet to body ratio is oh, huge, but um, yeah, look, it's like... that's to be expected. Um, <laughs> One point three mil for Bon jo John Bon Jovi. Mm. He gets, but Bon Jovi the band gets eighteen oh, million. Oh yeah, I was gonna say. So wow. that's a that's a shitload for those guys. Eighty two cents for this. Is there any lyrical highlights? Um, well. The whole All thing. of us just a big yeah, it's just a big <laughs> dorky cowboy metaphor. But I'll give him credit; it's a consistent one. Yeah. Like I never drew first, but I drew first blood. That's not a bad line for nine words. That's not bad. Um, however, he does also refer to himself as a devil on the run, a six gun lover, and a candle in the wind. <laughs> so is he Marilyn Monroe now? Is he? And what the fuck is a six gun lover? Super basic, makes a lot of noise, empties rapidly, takes ages to reload. I'm not sure. Carried by every every cop in the neighbourhood. Oh, you've got me. But you know, 
Hey, look, as they go, it's not too bad. If he wrote that himself, I'll give him credit. You know, like, it's like Axel Rose. It takes a certain single-mindedness to write a particular consistent flavour of, you know, nonsense. Mm. Oh, absolutely no. John Bon Jovi did write that himself. That's one of his original compositions. Yeah, um, I mean, this is the guy who wrote Bad Medicine. Oh, exactly right. Shot through the heart and you're to blame. Yep. You give love a bad name. For sure. Bad get, medicine is what I need. Getting the feeling he liked the cowboy stuff a lot. Oh yeah, by the way, he he auditioned that film by showing up at he auditioned that song by showing up at the he was a friend of Emilio Estevez. Yep. He heard the director was looking for a song, so he just showed up on set with an acoustic guitar and just played it uh, to the screenwriter and they put it in the film. So I was wondering if, you know, I've heard new Mad Max films just started shooting yep. out in the desert. Mm-hmm. Get a panel van. Yep. New Art of Seduction song. Absolutely right. Get out there. For sure. See what George Miller makes of it. Definitely, definitely right. Um, I, I might do that. See if George is keen. Um, I I can confirm that I will be sampling Too Legit to Quit, though. Um, <laughs> that's going to be the main thrust of the song. Um, I haven't got Hammer's approval yet, but he didn't get Rick James's, no, so it's, it's all clearly. fine. I think it'll be okay. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Love that one. Up next, for one week only... Young MC, Buster Move. Ah, very catchy. Absolutely. This one featured in Uncle Buck, so you know it's good, Tom. Mm. Straight off the bat. Is that your favourite John Candy? Oh. I'm a big Nothing But Trouble fan. Look. (laughs) It's one of the most disturbing films I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Uncle Buck's definitely one of my favourites, because it's family friendly, I think. So, um, yeah, it's it's good. It's just about a crazy uncle, comes to stay. I loved it. It was great. Oh, for sure. You know... He's not like the parents, um, you know, he doesn't do what the parents would do, he's a bit He's loose. unconventional. He's unconventional, but I think what you'll find, Tom, is that um, sometimes kids that live in a very structured life, they like, they, they get that unconventional mm, perspective they to and, it. and they respond to that and it's, um, it's really just about the rich tapestry of life. Um, it's a great film, so go and watch that. Stop this podcast now, just go watch <laughs> Uncle Buck. Um, so this uh, song featured on the album Stone Cold Ryman. <laughs> Is that one of the best album names that you've ever heard? It's better than Slippery When Wet, I'll say. It's oh, not absolutely. a pun, but I love it. It's also a great album, I have to say. I had this yep. on cassette. Features Roll With The Punches, which is a sick song, and the excellent No How, which was recently featured in a rad scene in Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. And yeah, unlike Tone Lock, he can actually rhyme uh, really well. But um, yeah, he's absolutely. Yeah, look, Flea from the Chili Willies plays on this, and he's in the music video. Yes, he's the one wearing a pair of pants made out of teddy bears and no shirt, as yep. if you needed any directions <laughs> to where Flea was. Absolutely, and look, you know, the song's called Buster Move. It's obviously about making a move on someone that yep. you're attracted to, and I'm sure some cunt out there wants to get MC Young MC cancelled. They probably <laughs> want us to do that, but I've poured over the lyrics. I've looked through it. Everything seems to be street legal. I yeah. don't think there's any, anything untoward going on here. It's just about a guy saying, you know, you find someone attractive, you know, make, make a move. Talk yep. to them. There's nothing, you know, there's no sexual harassment going on here, I wouldn't have thought. You know, there's nothing. No, refreshing lack of homophobia, weirdly. Exactly. <laughs> Everything about it is, is completely street legal, so um, there's nothing wrong with this. Although, I, I believe that Young MC did uh, write or co-wrote Funky Cole Medina for Tone Loke, which mm. is problematic. <laughs> yes. Um, but... That's okay. Young MC distanced himself from that <laughs> by not performing it himself. And I feel a bit bad for Tone Loke because um, 
he's a one-hit wonder, effectively. Well, he did Wild Thing, which is yeah, like... Yeah, he was kind of a constructed effort. I think he was yeah. sort of put together with... He had the right look and the right yeah. sort of voice, but he, I don't think he was a rapper prior to this. And yeah. as you say, he had his biggest hits written for him by yeah. something else. And, and they're very simple songs. If you are. listen to them now, they're like sort of one sample and a wiki wiki and a verse someone else wrote for him. And yeah, yeah. Funky Comedine is effectively a date rape song um, with some <laughs> yes. transphobic lyrics in Although it as well. Although admittedly, so. as we said before, he doesn't actually have sex with no, anyone he doesn't. in the whole he song. It's, an, it's yeah. an attempted date rape Com- song. Compared so. to that stuff, uh, Stone Cold Ryman, he's, he's really nimble on mm. the tongue. Like, this guy's got skills. He does. Absolutely. Look, I will say though, the follow-up single to this, Principal's Office, I think sucks shit. Now, is that is that a fair assessment, Tom, or is it just I not would... one of the strongest songs on the album? I, I think it's it's got a touch of the um, early Will Smith one about it, where it's kind of about how parents don't understand yeah, it and that sort of... a little bit of that. When, when rap was very much a teenage person's game, but yeah. Yep. Anyway. Um, lyrical highlights for this? Oh, I won't go over these because everyone fucking knows them yep. um, too much. The song taught me the words opportunistic and celibate. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had to look both of them up. I think the last word from a rap song I learned was skeet in about <laughs> 2003. One thing, one slightly weird thing, it does turn the lines, your best friend Harry has a brother Larry. In five days from now, he's going to marry. He's hoping you can make it there if you can, because in the ceremony, you'll be the best man. Now, that asks a few questions. Yeah, why does. is your best friend's brother asking you to be his best man? And why is he only telling you five days before the yeah, wedding, it's... and he's hoping you can make it there? So, you know, if you call the day on the day and you've got gastro, he's just going to wing us, is he? Like, yeah. Man, look, people have mulled over <laughs> this. It's one of the great mysteries of our time. So, yeah. Oh, exactly. I don't think Tom. anyone except Buster... If we'll get Buster Move and Bon Jovi on together, perhaps they can duet. Definitely, some new work. Definitely, we've mentioned before, Tom, that great and art. Bjork, she's coming on. To <laughs> she tell us about the going as well. On. It's yeah. going to be quite an interesting uh, yeah. triplet. This song. Yeah, great art always asks more questions, you know, <laughs> than the answers it provides. Speaking of so. uh, great art, what have we got next? Um, Skyhooks, Duke. Oh, sorry. Um, eight hundred thousand K, eight hundred thousand K, one dollar twenty nine for AMC. That's pretty good. Probably up, more of a surprise yep. hit. That's good. Up next, Jukebox in Siberia by <laughs> Skyhooks. This sucks shit. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah. I fucking one thing I hate more than anything is um the band that look. And I'm not going to shit on the Skyhooks generally because I think in the seventies. Um, yeah, not, they not were that a bit I, edgy I don't. And stuff in yeah. the 70s, I think. Nothing that I care for personally, but I think they had some songs that people liked. Um, yeah. But then it seems Horror like. Horror movie, you only yep. like me because I'm good in bed. Kind Those of. sorts of things, yeah. Seems like they've sat them sat out for a decade. They said, let's come back in the 90s. I've released mm. this. This is boring as hell. Um, this is, yeah, just old people trying to rehash some former glory. Yeah. I'm bored by this. The video clip sucked. Um, the only thing. Um, that what 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 do I know about it? It's got the guy in it um, from Red Faces, Red Simons. Yeah, he's in the band. They were basically the kind of backup. Hey, hey, it's Saturday band. By this point, yeah, the Skyhooks. They were on there so many times. Bloody the lead singer of Skyhooks, who used to be this kind of glam rock dude, had now become a TV handyman. Guy <laughs> and true. um their guitarist who used to dress in the androgynous makeup stuff was now the grumpy judge on a shitty ass gong show yeah <laughs> on a 
of that mystifyingly popular TV show called Hey Hey It's Saturday. Mm. If you're not from Australia, then, you know, you're not going to know what that is, but it's just fucking terrible. Um, let, you know, there's, what else can I say? Oh, look, if you like blackface, you'll enjoy it, but um, that's um, all sure. can say. Was Red Simon's the precursor to Simon Cowell? Probably. I'm he was, and Simon Cowell owes him a cool $58 billion. <laughs> I think so, Because definitely. that's the only explanation. I mean, it was basically a five-minute version of X Factor. Yeah. It was equally entertaining, um, except it was five minutes long, so it beats X Factor. It certainly does, yeah. So, yeah, as as you said, Tommy just sort of sits around and um, other people go, oh, that was fine, seven out of ten, that was okay. And then he'll be like, oh, it's terrible, one. And that was the shtick, and everyone went, oh, it's funny, boo. boo." (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it was fantastic. We Got a Stick popped up and said a funny line. Ah. Sound effects came on, cut to Daryl Love at something off screen yep. for 10 minutes cut back again yep. you know boring uh, sounded absolutely guys I've got... in black face ran across the screen <laughs> cartoon walked across the screen some guy drew a picture of a dick on the screen we yeah. got a stick popped up and said look at that and so we wild away the 80s <laughs> Indeed. Now, Jukebox in Siberia, um, I, I assume the song, um, look, I didn't listen to it because I, rem- I just remember it's, it in my mind being yeah. terrible. Is it about um, a jukebox <laughs> in Siberia? Is that what's, yes, what's going on? Yes, it's that literal. It's just a list of Russian references, including a lot of people who are already dead but supposedly hang out at a bar that sounds like the kind of shithole where you'd find Tom Cruise and Brian Brown spraying fluids all over the yep. walls and taking 38 minutes to make one flaming Lamborghini. It's just, yeah... It's kind of frustrating because, like, they used to be a bit edgy, and there's it, at first you think, oh, maybe this will be some sort of Cold War allegory or something like that. But no, nah, it's just about a jukebox in Siberia. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is disappointing when people that were once edgy come back and do something really boring. So, yeah, yeah, it sucks. Um, hundred fifty thousand listeners on Spotify. Not That's listening to this, I, I hope. Not probably, I hope <laughs> no. probably listening to other songs of theirs that are not this. Um, a dollar seventy-two. Mm. That's um, that's one of the more expensive oh, ones. One thing I should yep. say, uh, that is the only Aussie song in the number one. Oh, this, this year. year. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's depressingly. Right. Yeah. Wow. Say what you like about the UK's taste in music, but at least they actually buy their own stock in Waterman. Song. Yeah, that's a shame. One this year and it was terrible. That's no good. Um, look, I don't have anything more to say about this one. No, no, no I'm really. done with jukeboxes. <laughs> um, 17th of November for one week. D-Light, Groovers in the Heart. Does this get you pumped up? Oh man, it's great. This look, is great. D-Light, very right. definition look, of a one hit wonder. Year with Love Shack and D-Light. Yeah, Dude. look. Two stone cold dance floor fillers, thirty years on, still. I mean, oh, this is a, a, a fucking certified early nineties banger. That's good. Um, Q tip from a, a tribe called Quest did the rap on this, so that it even does. adds a level of legitimacy mm. that um, people want to shit on delight. It's like, well, did you know that Q tip? <laughs> yeah, tribe his called Quest did head, a rap on this. Yeah. It's also got Bootsy Collins uh, on it playing the guitar. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. The Herbie Hancock sample, uh, that's the intro line. Herbie Hancock from Bring Down the Birds, that dee 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 dee. Oh, yeah. And the drum loop from Vernon Birch's Get Up, that's the bit with the slide whistle. The oh, I was going to say this song features a slide whistle. Don't which hear is that song awesome. as much, do you? Exactly. Um, yeah, and they're also both rad songs as well. Those originals are both really cool. Yep. These guys were really more of a dance kind of thing. They had mm. six number one hits on the Billboard Hot Dance Club play chart. Yeah. But this was their only sort of uh, band hit. Although I'm pretty sure the album that this was off, World Clique, is 
I think that was pretty popular at the time. It's daggy as fuck, but it's very highly danceable. It's got a number of uh, songs on it that I still quite like. Yeah. Uh, one called Try Me On, I'm Very You. That's particularly fun, but yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, and they do actually have some claim to their kind of global party uh, vibe that they were trying to pull off with this sort of stuff, given that they started off as an American go-go dancer, a Ukrainian DJ guitarist, and a Japanese producer with Bootsy Collins playing on some of their tracks, and he put together the touring band. To nice. And also, the lady, the main uh, vocalist, Lady Miss Kia, she also did all of their design and costumes and flyers and album covers and everything herself, which had that sort of Austin Powers retro 60s look, which looks daggy as fuck now, but that was shit hot at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. For some reason. Don't ask me why. It was 1990. People were... They were lost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But not on the dance floor. No, no. Look, in in what must be one of the most early 2000s um, sentences I think anyone could say, (laughs) one of the members of D-Light sued Sega in 2003, (laughs) claiming that the character of Ulala in the Dreamcast game Space Channel 5 was an unauthorised use of her likeness. Have you uh, seen it? Have you seen it? Um, I had a quick look. Don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So, can you so kind of little yeah a little bit yeah no I, I completely agree with that. But yeah, it's it's sort of certainly seems weird that a member of D Light yeah fif- almost fifteen years after the fact that this song came out went I'm gonna sue yeah. Sega because of a Dreamcast game. That was their first mistake. I think Sega, by this stage, <laughs> were in yeah, voluntary administration. Or... Space Channel 5 also, not a big hit. This is not like the new Sonic the Hedgehog no. or something, or you know FIFA 97 or something yeah. like that. We're talking a game that no one's ever played or heard of on a video yep. game console that nobody owned. Featuring um, a character that nobody... sort of vaguely might look a little bit like her. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and apparently the character in the game um, would say, ooh la la, which is what apparently the chick from Delight would say. In she says concerts. it in Delight, but yeah. Yep, so I mean, anyway. Yeah, uh, Groove's in the heart. She yes. says it once yep. or twice. But. Exactly. So, yep. So, unfortunately, she lost the uh, court case. So, that's a sad end to the, the mm. Delight Sort of yeah, saga. she had to pay legal fees. That sucks. Oh, well, I bet you she made more than that off this song. Yeah, I hope so. But yeah, it just goes to show, kids, don't go and sue someone unless you're certain you're going to win. Not lightly, Particularly no. when it has to do with them <laughs> ripping off your likeness for a Sega Dreamcast game. That seems like a, a, a bit of a poor decision, but that's okay. Still a great song. 1.3 mil, 86 cents, as I mentioned. Um, you got anything else for this, Tom? Um... Yeah, well, speaking of bookends, remember when I said that Love Shack was like the start of the 90s video look? Yeah. Well, compare the look of this video to Blaze of Glory, and there you have it again. <laughs> this is the 90s and the 80s. They're jostling for position yep. once again. This looks like it cost about 20 bucks, but yep. it is non-stop light color motion, shonky green screen, dancing. It's fun. It's engaging. It's shallow as fuck. But at least it didn't cost $58 billion and feature a gerbil on the edge of a cliff. Yeah, not nothing got set in fire on this one. I don't no, think it so, yeah, it's a shame. Lyrically, yeah. not much to it. Uh, she says, we're going to groove to Horton, here's a who, which I could never tell what she was saying there. That's what <laughs> she's saying, in case you wondered. Um, and I always liked uh, Bootsy Collins at the end with star-shaped glasses on, calmly saying that D-Light smoke weed on stage. And then going, shh, like you might tell the cops. <laughs> on him. I don't know what the fuck that was about. <laughs> has nothing to do with the song. Anyway, 
that's enough of that. Yeah, I love that song. It's still a fucking banger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's it. I remember it being played on many a dance floor. Oh, it still um, is. Trust me. It's, yep. Yeah, that's For not sure. going fucking anywhere. Absolutely. So that was only one week, um, which was. Yeah, I would have thought long, but it's okay, you know. It's better yeah. to be number one than not at all. So coming up next, um, for the rest of the year, 24th of November, for the entire rest of the year, I think it's going to go into next year as well, for seven weeks, The Righteous Brothers Unchained Melody. God almighty. I Just couldn't even say that the properly. The boomers have fucked off. Oh, yeah, this must be one of the most boring fucking songs of all time. I don't give a shit <laughs> what you say. The Righteous Brothers suck. This song sucks shit. Um, it's also 25 years old at this stage. Yeah. So it's old as hell. So um, that means for anyone that hasn't heard it, um, what this is, we're talking 30 years ago now. This song's over 50 years old at current 2021 mm. stage. Um, it's only back in the charts because it was in Ghost. That's pretty much the only reason. Yeah. Um, so it was obviously, it's, it was back in the Australian charts, US and UK, because yep. it's in Ghost in that scene where Patrick Swayze is doing some pottery. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's going to stick in people's heads, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's fucking it's really making and we're, in that film. we're fortunate that um in Australia we just have this. In the US they got two versions in the charts: the nineteen sixty five <laughs> original, and then they re recorded a nineteen ninety one, um which also got back in the charts. So there yeah, you go. It's actually even older than that, believe it or not. That's their version. Oh it's, shit! It's, yeah, theirs is a cover of oh. a nineteen fifty five original from a prison film called Unchained. Hence the Silly name, but yeah. According to the song's publisher, over 1,500 different recordings of Unchained Melody have been made by more than 670 artists in multiple languages. So (laughs) people like this fucking song. I don't know why, I swear to God. I mean, I was going to ask, you know, getting back to Ghost, but have you ever fucked a ghost, Ben? I haven't, no. Um, Look, it's... Look, it's on the bucket list, obviously, I guess, but I don't really know the ins and outs of how that works. Um, being a sort of, you know, no physical <laughs> body, but look, yeah. It might be because you're not a musician or a singer. Oh, celebrity. yeah. Because okay. uh, to date, uh, Bobby Brown, yep. Billy Corgan, Kesha, uh, Lucy Liu, Coco Austin, Dan Aykroyd, and Anna Nicole Smith have all claimed to have had sex with ghosts okay. at different points. That's not in one. Giant C-list gangbang, which yep. would have been pretty awesome. I would pay for tickets to see that. <laughs> Especially if Patrick Swayze was in the middle, just covered in pottery. But yeah, yeah. No. Did they mention? Did any of these people mention particular ghosts they've had sex with, or just generally? So? Just generally, no. They all seem to be quite general. Um, yeah, I do. I remember reading an interview or or seeing an interview with Kesha. Many years ago where she did say, um, yeah, my new single, What's It About? Someone said, What's It About? She said, Oh, it's about when that time I had sex yes. with a ghost. Yeah, so, there's lyrics definitely, yeah. basically. So and I mean, of course, Dan Aykroyd famously managed to get a scene into Ghostbusters, which has nothing to do with the film yeah. at all, where he gets a blowjob from a ghost. So perhaps he was, uh, you know, reenacting what had happened the night before. Oh, look, ghosts, they're generally very sexy, so <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all that these people have done such. Mm. But, yeah, personally, I have not time, no. Yeah, no, look, I was just going to say what you were already saying, which is that uh, the fucking Righteous Brothers suck shit. I'm sorry, I have to put up with this baby boomer nonsense. 
my entire life. Their genre is known as blue-eyed soul, which is an industry term for white people doing soul music, not as well as the black people yep. who we won't sign because it's 1965. Yeah. You know another song that sucks a big black cock? You've Lost That Love and Feeling, which was also produced by Phil Spector, the convicted multiple murderer. Yep. Am I saying that the Righteous Brothers were involved in the murders, Ben? I'll leave that to the authorities to decide, but let's just say that their name protests a bit too hard yeah. to my liking. But yeah. Oh, look, they definitely were involved in the murders. Um, the white soul. I think they sound can... like fucking supermarket dairy aisle, and they look like leisure suit Larry's virgin cousins, and they're not even brothers, Ben. They're, they're just... what? <laughs> wait, wait, what? The Righteous Brothers are not actual brothers. No, I'm saying that their lie has an impressive one-to-one. Their name has an impressive one-to-one lie-to-word ratio. <laughs> I bought this single based on the fact that they were brothers. I'm sorry. So, I'm, you know... I, I hate to be the one to break it to Will you. the ACCC listen to my complaint <laughs> some 31 years after the fact? Let's hope so. But yeah, that's... Look, that's a, that's a fake, fake sort of society we live in. That's disappointing. Um, but yeah, interestingly, um, Patrick Swayze, this isn't the first time that he's boosted the fortunes of Bill Medley because um, obviously Bill Medley was one of the Righteous Brothers. Mm. And he also duetted with Jennifer Warnes in I've Had the Time of My Life. Ah, um, which, which was, was in... Yeah, the number one hit in Dirty Dancing. So, yeah, so Swayze's been responsible. Before, yes. Yeah. Look, um, yeah, Righteous oh, Brothers okay. are terrible, but look, I will, I will tip my hat to um, one half of the uh, Righteous Brothers for I've Had the Time of My Life. That's better than yeah, anything I that these guys did. Yeah, I suppose 50% of a hit in that song. Yeah, yeah. T- I would take that over this. Oh, yeah, that's that one's... Fine, this one's awful. So, yeah. Oh, Any great lyrics, or are they all just terrible? They're all crap. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 3.4 million people listening on Spotify. No idea why they're doing that, um, unless they accidentally got mixed up with the Out There Brothers. <laughs> Maybe they thought they were going to listen to. Uh, 3.4 million. Uh, boom, boom, and let me hear say away. Or um, maybe they maybe they were typing in the Out There Brothers and um, Spotify corrected them to the Righteous Brothers. They're like, wait a minute, this isn't <laughs> anything about a booty being so round. What's going on with this? I'll listen to it anyway. And then that's how they get those listeners, I assume. 45 cents, that's the deal of the century. Um, mm. For nobody, that's terrible. <laughs> don't, don't buy that for anyone. 3.4 that million, that's... Yep. disturbing must be international old people that's all I can absolutely think. so that's um, that takes us through to the end of the year that's 1990 in mm. a wrap uh, wrap up sure. um, look other songs we like to touch on some that weren't number ones um, songs that peaked at number two include I Feel the Earth Move by Martika uh, yep that's powerful I Want That Man by Deborah Harry mm-hmm. Ride On Time by Black Box uh, yep got a lot of play it's fucking good. Dance floor. Um, I don't know much by Linda Rodstad featuring Aaron Neville. Boring. Mm. Um, How am I supposed to live without you uh, by Michael Bolton? That was, that was pre-irony and that sucks. Yeah. Hold on by Wilson Phillips. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Concrete Blonde. Uh, sorry, Joey nice. by Concrete well, Blonde. Geez. This was a tough year. <laughs> Close to you by Maxi Priest and Suicide Blonde by NXS. Mm, two blondes. Yep. Suicide Blonde's the better song. Um, so yeah. Great. So all at number two. Didn't quite crack it. Um, oh, and then, yeah. then a few of the other ones. Um, Black Velvet, Alana Miles. Oh, yeah. Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You by Millie Vanilli. Mm-hmm. That's good. How Can We Be Lovers? More Michael Bolton. Mona by Craig McLaughlin <laughs> and Check One Two. Mm. There you go. Craig was another star from the Home yep. and Away Neighbours camp who uh, tried to become a huge musician. He's now better known for being a gross sex pest. Yeah, that's true. 
Doing the Do by Betty Boo. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame they didn't make it to number one. That's a classic. Um, Pump Up the Jam by Technotronic. So as you can mm. see by, oh, um, yes. as I've just mentioned, uh, Right on Time by Black Box and Pump Up the Jam by Technotronic, mm. we're going to start seeing a lot of Euro dance yes. <laughs> coming yeah, up. Um, that's Because that's one thing, yeah, between the 80s and the 90s, um, yeah, just, I mean... Last decade, we didn't really have any sort of Euro dancey sort of things. No, no. Um, there was no it's real hip hop songs. I don't think. Just the very turn of the decade, and yep. we're straight into hip hop, yeah, new metal, and <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to get some and, some uh, rap Euro songs. Dance, yes, definitely get some rap songs. Definitely going to get some Euro dance. Um, this was also the year of the Lambada, which somehow didn't make it to number one. <laughs> oh no, that was, that was number the five. early one. Yeah. Yep. There were two versions of that at the same time in the charts, weirdly. Oh, yeah. Because by the time it made it over here, someone had covered it. So there were, yeah, simultaneously two versions of it. Okay, that's good. Um, And what other ones? We've got Summer Rain, Belinda Carlisle, oh, yeah. um, Step by Step, New Kids on the Block. Sure. <laughs> All classics. But um, I think you're forgetting something, Ben, aren't you? What am I uh, forgetting? Are you forgetting that in 1990 was time for the guru? Oh, Yes. Specifically, bracket, infinity, bracket, 1990, dot, 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 time for the guru. Uh, that got to number four on the RHR. Only to number four, really. Um, and your favourite trick, the 2008 remix, uh, got to number one on the Billboard Hot Dance Airplay chart. Yeah. Uh, dethroning Lady Gaga's Poker Face in 2009. So clearly, uh, infinity was the length of time it would be in the charts. And... Whether it was time for the guru or not, I don't know, but it was a hit again in Europe in 2012. Fantastic. That's yeah. the power of the sax, Ben. I'm voting this best sax of the 90s, and they've only just started, but I'm confidently saying this song has the best sax line in any song of the 90s. Um, look, in 1988, Paul Walden was a pub rocker in London. Uh, then he tried ecstasy once at the pub, and in 10 minutes he'd changed his name to Guru Josh, become a house music DJ, moved to Ibiza, and was dancing shirtless under a strobe light. Playing saxophone on songs with names like Infinity Bracket, 1990s Ellipsis, Time for the Guru in Bracket. And, you know, and people will tell you that ecstasy is harmless. I'm saying, you know, we could all be Guru Josh, you know. I fucking uh, love Guru Josh. Um, unfortunately, he's dead now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say RIP. <laughs> I was going to say RIP to Guru Josh. But um, um, look, 1990 was time for the Guru. So oh, absolutely right. Hats off. I'm saluting you, Guru Look, Josh. I can't believe that I forgot to mention that. Um, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, it is a great song. And yeah, he did pull that trick that I love where he just re-released it about 10 times. Um, and is that a true story, Tom, about him being a pub rocker in London and mm. taking ecstasy once? Yeah, well, this was... I mean, we're talking about it now, but I mean, it probably officially started in the late 80s, but now yeah. we're starting... As you said, this is where this dance music starts to hit and we're yeah. starting to get into the first summer of love which is about now for the ecstasy thing which yeah. is yeah and you're right if people say that um careless whisper george mike was the best use of saxophone <laughs> in the 80s then you're right tom this is without a shadow of a doubt um i'm prepared and, and to be proved wrong if a better contender comes along but oh, so far i, it's I think it's the best saxophone in the 90s and look some people may say that's faint praise given that um the saxophone was sort of 
I guess, as a going concern, getting phased out in yes, this decade. Yes, definitely. Um, it's on the way out. It's during the, the 80s. Way of mullets and Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, my favourite song of the 80s features two solo, for solo <laughs> sax parts. Um, that's, of course, um, Waiting for a Star by Boymates Girl. It gets you get a sax intro and that's a sax solo. Sure. Um, and, yeah, I think and pretty much all my favourite songs in the 80s have a sax solo. But by the 90s, yeah, you're not going to hear as many, but no. Guru Josh was still keeping it real. Um, and yeah, he cranked it out, not just in 1990, but again in 2008, and by the looks of it, 2012. Um, yeah, it is time for the guru. Um, yeah, fantastic. Also, seriously, if you've never seen this video, have a look at it. It will probably make you want to take ecstasy. <laughs> Absolutely. Is, there's a certain old-fashioned kind of ecstasy video where you can tell that people had not yet settled into the rhythm of what dance EDM was supposed to look like yep. and what everything, and they were just making it up as they went along, and they just all look so happy to have found this amazing new thing. Like, yeah. sure, a lot of it involves putting powerful chemicals into your bloodstream, <laughs> and some of those people are dead now, like Guru Josh, for instance, but yeah. still, it's a fun video anyway. I think there is a sort of exciting time when a new genre is taking place and, and it's not well-defined yet, yes. because often once, uh, once a genre is well-defined and people say, oh, this is what this is meant to sound like, yeah. then anyone after that does that. But often in the early days, it's like we, no one really knows, so yeah. it's a bit of an amalgam. And I don't really think people would do a song like this today <laughs> in a sort of dance vibe no but it's not doing great. live sax on not stage doing live sax yeah <laughs> well I just um, I can't even remember what Guru Josh does he's apart from that dancing around I think he's shirtless 1990 time for the Guru like, yeah, yeah and there's like um, tinsel raining down on him but it's like he filmed in a like a club like he's actually doing a real performance but yeah fuck, I yeah know. and there's a follow up single as well I think that uh, <laughs> fuck I can't remember I, Who, I never is it Whose who's Law Is It Anyway or something like yes, that yes uh, yeah yeah, which is something um, like that. Which is he kept going like he was a DJ. He did yeah. more stuff and like yeah. definitely <laughs> no. It's um yeah, Infinity, nineteen ninety time for the group. Yeah, who's Laura's anyway was a follow up. <laughs> and you look at his list of singles that he's released over the years. It just seems to be Infinity about ten times. So fucking power to that. So it's all good. Yeah, I think he was more of a DJ than a definitely, but it's good. And it's a guru, good. obviously. Oh, for sure, he paved the way for <laughs> such heavy hitters as um. Oof. David Guetta. The love guru. The love guru. <laughs> the love, yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's 1990 done. Thank sure. you for listening. Yes, thank you very much. I'll see you later. See ya.